It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Rapid Fire, and this is a play calling free zone. We've hit it hard. I think we uh, can take a step back and Ohio State is the number two team in the playoff rankings. Ohio State's undefeated. Ohio State has two really boring, easy games ahead. The next couple weeks, we'll see what Maryland is. And then, like, I don't know, maybe the biggest game that Ohio State has played since – I think you could argue that the Michigan game this year might even be bigger than, like, well, you know what, probably worth ranking. The blank biggest games, the 10 biggest games of this century for Ohio State football – and like how you characterize all of that, certainly like the Clemson revenge semifinal, but almost like, like a pod. you know, the 2020 national title game against Alabama was like, yeah, they had a shot, but I don't know. It was kind of like, Alabama was kind of Bama. It was kind of a weird year. So then like, but and the Michigan game and everything the Michigan game means. And so, you know, we're going to build toward that, but we're going to take a step back. I will say guys, definite reaction to our parking conversation a week ago. And I think we could do an entire traffic podcast. I have like five different areas of car maneuvering rules of the road and, you know, next week's Indiana. So I, I did not, I saved all the traffic questions because we have enough other football questions. And I got, I don't know if bogged down is the right word or correctly dove in to the whole offense play calling thing on the rants thing. And so the result is I had a gazillion rants that I didn't get to that we're just going to turn in to questions on the trapid fire for the three of us. And we'll start with this one from the 317. If you had to send one college football team to play versus aliens to save the world one week from today, who do you send? If this was put on a ballot next week, who wins the popular vote? That's from the 317. Nathan, this is one of those conversations that, um, I guess Space Jam started it, right? Did people ever talk about playing the aliens before Space Jam? Or like so. the Monstars is where they all came from, right? They own that. Michael Jordan might copyright this conversation. So I think to me, Nathan, when you're taking the team, you're taking the coach. You take it like you're like you're taking the team. You're not just taking the players. So who do you think people who would we send to face the aliens? And who do you think people would send to face the aliens? 
Well, I think in the Space Jam tradition, you're going to want to send the best collection of talent. And you're probably going to want to send the ones who are doing the things that on a field look the most superhuman at times. So I think Ohio State has to be in that conversation. Now, I would also argue, though, you can go beyond the team and you can go beyond the coach and you can go to the school itself. And maybe you would pick the school that has 27 astronauts among its alumni. Neil Armstrong, Gene oh Cernan, Gus Grissom, Roger Chaffee. And maybe Bells. you, Baird, please direct your comments to, on I, Twitter. Literally. I think you would send the Purdue Boilermakers and their, their cradle of astronauts. Why do you do this to yourself? You've been that trying to awful. shed this for four years, and then you're like, let me dive right back into this. So bad. <laughs> does you were does like, MIT have a football waiting. team? I mean, I think you're sending the, the most space, the most, like, yeah. I mean, like, there is no, like, NASA football team. This is, like, the closest thing. The, you've been you've been waiting for four years for an opening to talk about Purdue's astronaut tradition and the questions. I sent the questions across today, and you were like, "It's here, it's finally here." <laughs> and as some people have seen the podcast, will probably nope. note all the astronauts who went to Purdue grew up in Ohio. So maybe you know that maybe you just lean like uh, you know, I don't know. But listen, I, okay, I Purdue. Can tell so you, you say for Purdue because sure. they get in the rocket ship. They know how to get in the rocket ships to go face the aliens. Well, they know, how to fly them. they know how to fly them. They can't just, they don't yeah. just get in them. Like, I know that for a fact that Purdue has had multiple players, usually has at least one or two players on its roster at all times who are like in aviation stuff. So I don't know. I think that matters. So I think we've established, Stephen, that Purdue can fly the team that will play the aliens to the game. They're basically space bus drivers for the actual team that will take the field against the aliens. That was very, that was a very funny answer. You had the astronauts prep. I'd love astronauts. I love astronauts. How, how did independence day, how did they win independence day? It was just a guy who knew how to fly Spoiler alert, just flying it up into the alien plane. So like with an, I'm with sending an actual Purdue, athlete in the passenger I'm seat. Sending, <laughs> I'm sending Purdue. No. That, that's not what we're talking about. Will I'm Smith? Talking about Randy, no, I'm not talking about Will Smith. Will Smith wasn't getting anything done. I'm talking about Randy Quaid flying up into the ship. So I'm sending Purdue on a suicide mission to kill the aliens. <laughs> Please someone tell Aiden O'Connell. Uh Steven, who Aiden. Just real quick, Nathan Baird, formerly of the Purdue Beat, now of Cleveland.com. Alien, Stephen, who do you think we're sending? Who would people send to, to fight the alien, to play the aliens? Before Nathan went on his Purdue flag waving brigade there, he did make a point. You got to send the team who's got some freaks to it, has got some guys that maybe make aliens go, ooh, what is that? And nothing does that. Like a guy with little legs, a long torso, and long arms, and a crazy work ethic. And that's Marvin Harrison Jr., so that's one freak. And then JT just proved he was a freak on Saturday. And I think Talik Williams made the freaks list during the summer as well. So I think Ohio State's got a nice little collection of freaks that can maybe intrigue an alien or two. So they're definitely on this list. Uh, Alabama's got Will Anderson who is a freak in his own right. So I'd go there next. Uh, Stetson, can I? What? <laughs> Even with Stetson Bennett as the quarterback, I'd still maybe send Georgia 
just because that, that collection of talent around him will, just like it did last season, it will offset the fact that he is the furthest thing from a freak we've seen in college football. It would be my great honor to fight on behalf of every man, woman, and child on this great planet in a battle to the... Thank you to Purdue for the ride. (laughs) I do think people... And this is like, this is why sometimes when you get into like playoff rankings discussion, then it's like, well, you know, playoff rankings, what the real people do is like people do Vegas rankings or people do, well, if you had to one game for your life and I did like, you do lean toward talent, right? In that, like you lean toward like upside and it's like, well, I don't care if the team lost. I don't care if this, I still think this. And I still think even though they barely beat, Texas, I think you still might send Bama against the aliens because it's like you get Saban and Saban wouldn't give two hoots about the aliens and you get Bryce Young and you get Will Anderson and then like you figure out the rest. And so I I do think it's a talent discussion. And it's like that. I think, you know, Bama's sixth in the playoff rankings. They probably should have been seventh. So it's like, hey, you know, if you're complaining, it's like, how can you complain about Bama being, you know, that you're mad Bama's ahead of TCU, but then you're going to send Bama to the aliens. It's like, well, you know, it's because they're Bama. So I do That's think why that, they're ahead of TCU in the rankings. <laughs> I know, which is like it, which is if there was, I hope there's not somebody, there's not some random athletic director from, you know, whatever, Idaho State in there being like, well, let me ask this, everybody. What about the aliens part of this conversation? Because that's not what the playoff committee should be about. But I do think in the end, Nathan, like, no offense to Ohio State, I think I might send Alabama. And it's and it's because you get because you get Saban and then they Bama does have an alien on both sides of the ball in that I don't think Bryce would be bothered by the alien pass rush and again Bryce doesn't run but he just he slides around really well in the pocket and you know Will Anderson is still a very naturally gifted explosive player who hasn't put up the stats like maybe we thought he would this year but is still very good at it and so. I th- I think I'd probably go Bama in the end. If if you're asking me, my vote's Bama. I think and I think Bama probably wins the popular vote based on reputation and almost just like you, like reputation slash actual very skilled players who could who could fight aliens. So in the end, who got who would you guys actually send? I, I think Bama and Ohio State are the two choices. Who would you actually send? Well, I think important factor here is like depth of talent because. You get there on the battlefield to fight the aliens. All of a sudden, they've got like some kind of laser that we don't know about. Are we playing football against them or we're actually fighting them? If you're just playing football against them, I guess. No, I think yeah, football. <laughs> just football, because um, maybe that you know maybe they wipe out the first string <laughs> with some kind of alien technology. But uh, I think this year, I think this year I might pick Ohio State. Who'd you take, Stephen? I take Bama, just because. I think Nick Saban is that good of a recruiter that he'd pull an alien aside at the middle of the the game. He'd be like, so listen, have you heard of this here transfer portal? It's going in. It's going in here. And then we'll play this game again next year, and we'll have another alien. That's really good. The alien in the – that's what the transfer portal – finally, the transfer portal makes sense because an actual alien comes through it. And and Day doesn't like using the transfer portal. and. As Nick Saban showed us, he has no problem using it. 
Yeah. Well, that that's that, uh, this is later, but now I actually have a transfer portal thing. What a transition, Stephen. Pulled that. Thank you. Who who thought we could segue from <laughs> the alien discussion to a transfer portal discussion? Professionals. Um very very well done. Okay, let's do this. Uh it's Josh in the 312. He's from Chicago and he's a 97 Ohio State alum. He'll be at the uh, Northwestern Ohio State game on Saturday. All right, Josh. So he wants to rant, and we're turning into a question. He wants to rant about money in the transfer portal and how that's impacting the nature of building a team that remains, quote, a team for more than two years at a time. It's becoming very difficult to get excited about five-star recruits, knowing that they come to the program feeling they are above it, and that if it's not quite good enough for them, they can simply leave. I am certain that things like nonverbal cues and true team leadership are suffering as a result. Do you think that programs that can foster leadership will win the long game? And if so, how does Ohio State ensure it is one of these elite programs long term? Uh, Nathan, what do you think of this this rant slash question from Josh? So I understand the question in concept, and I have seen at other levels that I've covered where the transfer portal doesn't work out from a chemistry standpoint. It is a problem. And teams sometimes regret who they brought in in those circumstances. But in practice, the transfer portal has enhanced Ohio State's leadership. You can go back to Jonah Jackson. You can go to Justin Fields. You can go to what they're seeing right now with Tanner McAllister. All those guys were positive additions from a leadership standpoint, from a chemistry standpoint, from a however you want to, whatever buzzword you want to use there, brotherhood standpoint to go back to last week. So I think that if you're smart about it, if you are very choosy about the kind of guy you bring in, and if you make fit and character, and I'm now using a lot of coach speak buzzwords right now, but there is some truth to them. If you make those things a priority and you're, and you're making sure that it's a guy who can fit into your culture and isn't just a, because we've seen Ohio State pass on guys that maybe didn't, right? Like guys that they were linked to that they didn't take then. So we can, we've seen it in practice. Then I think that this, the leadership issue can be a wash at worst. Like, yes, you'll lose some guys. Yes. There is some turmoil in, in guys who come in together and a couple guys have to break off and leave, but you can add guys later who are still a net positive in those intangible areas. What do you say, Steven? No, I I think it's, fine it's it, i i don't see a problem with the transfer party in any way possible i agree with nathan that i mean ohio state's used it in a way where it's almost gone strictly over, outside of justin fields it's gone after guys who are basically plug and plays and they've all worked to some degree or another and so from ohio state standpoint they're i guess using it the right way at least they would say that but i mean that's how the world works if if you these kids are trying to get to the next level and you don't do that by spending your entire career stuck behind somebody. You've got to, you know, maximize your opportunity as a football player in college. And that's what made, you know, what Joe Burrow did. That's what made what Jamison Williams did so important was instead of being stuck somewhere where you weren't going to be able to maximize your value, you went somewhere where you could. It doesn't mean that they look at the guys that they were playing with. The, like Jamison Williams still has great relationships with great Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and everybody else in that room. And Joe Burrow still has great relationships with the guys that he was teammates with at Ohio State as well. And you could probably say the same about pretty much anybody else who's transferred from Ohio State or anywhere else. They still have those relationships. It's just at some point you got to think about yourself and think about how you can help you and your family. And that's what this transfer portal is allowing kids to do. So Ryan Day does think about this, right? This is why Ohio State doesn't do more. 
this is like like Brian Day, I do think thinks about the idea of like you don't want to go too far down the road with this. And I do think um I do think what we have seen in college basketball where the one and done situation has opened doors for a more like a mid-major team that maybe has more three and four year guys to when they hit their peak and their their best group of guys are seniors, can you compete with a one and done team? And I think we've seen that in the NCAA tournament. And I do think Cincinnati last year is an example of how that could work in college football. They wound up having a ton of NFL players, as we know, like they had like the fourth most guys drafted, but it was a very old team. And they built something and guys stuck around. And then in a world where maybe, you know, the big time programs are losing a couple guys here and there, Cincinnati can compete there. I do think we could see that. So that idea of, hey, is a team that really builds, can they maybe compete against teams that are leaking a little bit because of the portal? I do think that's possible. I do think Ryan Day thinks of it. And like the idea of like, how can Ohio State be that? Is like, I think Ohio State's trying to be that, but then also... When Jordan Hancock was hurt and Denzel Burke wasn't playing well, we were talking about why didn't they take Eli Ricks? So do you want build the team, have the strong foundation, all that stuff, or do you want the best players? So the answer is you want all of it. But Nathan, sometimes you may have to lean one way or the other. If if the question slash concern is, will Ohio State manage it correctly? It, it feels like they're trying to do that. And I'm not, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Right. I, I don't know. Like I do think and then we have an example like Michigan State, to Mel Tucker's credit, right. kind of built a transfer portal powerhouse a year ago. And then when you thought, oh, could they sustain it? It's like, no, it fell off a cliff. But actually, it's because they were probably better a year ago than they had a right to be. But they built it up quick and then it fell apart quick because it was so portal heavy. So is that what Mel Tucker wants to do long term? No, I don't think so. But also, we sort of have proof that that's not a way to build a team year after year after year, because then they tried to bring in more portal guys this year. And like the two running backs they brought in aren't Kenneth Walker, the third, and you see the difference. So I do think we're getting some knowledge here, but I do think like if you hit, I could see a world, Nathan, where, and I don't know exactly what it would look like, but like, I don't know, maybe even like Penn state, like Penn state in three years when Aller's a senior and Nicholas Singleton, if he stays around and he's a senior and Oh, Ohio State lost. You know what I mean? Like, I do think there's going to be an opportunity for the right team to take advantage of having a bunch of old guys. And we have the Cincinnati example. Yeah, I think that's completely plausible. We even saw earlier this year, too, like what Kansas was doing. They got off to a big start this year, a a program that brought in a bunch of transfers. And then we found out that they really weren't at the top of the Big 12. They were really more kind of a middle of the pack team. So I, I think that is always going to be present. Like, Power five programs that are maybe middle tier can get a quick boost off of this. But I, I, at the end of the day, like if you're even a place, the, the stature of Penn State and certainly the stature of Ohio State, when you go to the portal, it's it's not you're not loading up your grocery cart. You're making a quick stop at the convenience store. You know what I mean? Like you're getting the mm-hmm. one thing you need. And so that's the other reason why the culture thing doesn't necessarily come into play play you've already got the culture you don't need the transfers to swing the culture the culture should already be there and you're just enhancing it with one or two players so but i think what you're saying makes a lot of sense except that in the penn state example you're talking about a team that without bringing in transfers maybe could just like graduate up to that 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 level of experience and whatever but 
you you probably I don't know you're still good. Ohio State is not going to be that different than that in that year. Like they're going to have a roster that's essentially made the same way. Yeah. So you know, talent matters the most. You got to go get the talent, and again, it's one of those things that that you want to have the most cohesive, built from the ground up team supplemented by transfers who only help you. So the transfer I mean, is like the tide you, stick. Yeah. It's like the little tide stick. When you like accidentally get like a stain on your shirt, you can just use mm. the tide stick to clean it off real quick instead of having to throw the entire shirt in the washing machine. Yeah. That's how yeah, you yeah, should yeah, use. Yeah. It's like you had a recruiting miss four years ago and now you're finally in the year where it can actually hurt you, but it doesn't hurt you because you wouldn't fix it real quick. Yeah. But if you never wash your clothes, right? They're eventually gonna stink. you're going to stink. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, I actually noticed Stephen, you say this in a video yesterday, and I knew this question was waiting here because it's a couple weeks old, mm. and it's from our friend Mark Harper in Chicago. Please tell Nathan and Stephen to stop saying "talent equated." Where did this nonsense phrase even come from? Use equally talented or something, anything else, please, so that I can focus on submitting a rant that really matters. So. I, you definitely said it. And because this texture had brought it up, it was in my head. And when you said it, I was like, aha, I got to get that question in. Steven, why do you say it? And I think Nathan says it too. I don't know if I say it, but why does, why does anybody say it? I don't know if I say it as this much that it needed to be a rant, but like respect to the texture. That's his, his prerogative. Cause Ryan Day said it. Oh, well, Nathan, do you I'm- think you say it? I'm, do you sure say I, I'm sure I say it, but here's one reason why I say it. So after the game on Saturday, Ryan Day said something about, oh, we're in one of these matchup games, which is another, which is a yeah. euphemism for saying talent equated. But the reason why matchup games yes. isn't better is because somebody, another reporter that we know, had to come up to me. Somebody who is a national reporter came up to me after the game and was like, hey, when he said matchup games, what did that mean to you? And I'm like, oh, well, I think he means like a talent equated game. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought he meant. So we're cutting out the middleman. No, we're but just that's going not- right to. No, 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 no. But that's not the point. The point is, why don't you say equally talented? Because talent equated is a super think, sportsy way of talking. You, It's right. not a phrase that anybody in normal human mm-hmm. interaction uses the phrase talent equated. It was a big urban phrase. So urban used equated a lot because he would talk about you want it to be like the numbers to be equated, which is when you're talking about running the quarterback. But talent equated in, in the world, you would say equally talented. It's just a sport. We're sportsing. We're sportsing up the talk, right? Yeah, it's not I like get, you would I, say that you wouldn't look at a Snickers and a Kit Kat and say this is a talent equated candy situation. These are equally talented candies, right? You would you wouldn't say that talent equated. They're like calorie equated. Yeah, but you wouldn't say when would you ever use the word equated instead of equal, right? In life, it's a sporting thing, right? Yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't think of the top of my head things that I compare. So regularly yeah. enough that I might use the phrase equated. Neither of you uses the word equated in life, ever. No, neither of you life? uses the word equated. Probably no not. way do you use the word equated. Yeah, probably yeah, not. It's sportsing. Yeah. yeah. It's a football. For, it's, it, Ryan I mean, Day we're sports writers, so, you know, it's, it's... No, but we're supposed to cut through the jargon. No, I mean, they, the coaches talk in coach speak. So, but urban, it's an urban thing. Urban was very big into it. And Day has adapted it. So now, I mean, I think what we've done here is now we're making everyone self-conscious about everything they say. When we do six I'm podcasts not, a week and I'm ten videos, it. so yeah. like I like saying it. There was I'll something probably, else that we were doing it. a lot too, though. Yeah, there was something now else. Now you're going to say, but now you're going to say that spite. 
Now you're going to say that spite tomorrow. Right. Yeah, even better. Yeah. Mm. Okay. No, look at you guys. You're a little bit on edge. Look at you. Like, you're a little bit like, oh, you're pleased with really what we're it's doing a, here. I'm probably just not even thinking about it's it. I wasn't, it's, it. It's not, yeah, I wasn't like doing it instead of saying equal. It's just like what was coming out of my mouth. I don't know. I know, but it's coming oh. out of your mouth in a way that you never would say in normal. That's, yeah, it's true. But it's I guess true. I just yeah, wasn't. It's sportsing. Yeah. It's sports talk. Hey, it's sports. We're, everyone's feeling sporty. We, we do uh, a lot of these. Let's be talking. You talk a lot. You say a lot of things. Yeah. Talk. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about old stadiums. We're going to talk about a Justin Fields, CJ Stroud comparison. We're going to talk about standing at games. We might get the Burger King a little bit. We have a pronunciation situation that we actually do need to address and a couple other things next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Nathan, you continued to work on a, on a story that you've done some reporting on about Ohio Stadium. It's 100. Happy birthday. From the 440. Very unpopular opinion and rant. We're turning into a question. Get rid of old college stadiums. Yeah, it's so cool that the shoe is celebrating its 100th anniversary, but I vote that all historic stadiums be demolished and reconstructed. Think Yankee Stadium. Make exact replicas, but modernize these amazing sites. Honor their history, but make these sites more enjoyable places to watch games and better places to compete for players. Um, and, th- and then they kind of mentioned like the tunnel situation, for instance, like maybe build a stadium where you're not having people run into each other and get in fights in tunnels. These old stadiums have turned into weird Frankenstein versions of their original constructions, build new replicas of these stadiums from the 440. I think it's a very interesting thing to think about, Nathan. I know you, you have done some reporting about like the projected lifespan of Ohio Stadium. And I will say again, like Northwestern's going to go through this right now. They're going to tear down the current stadium and build a new stadium. And the result is for two years, they're going to have to play somewhere else. So one of the issues is when, you, when you're building it on the yeah. same site, it's like, well, are you willing to suck it up and sacrifice what you have to do for the probably the two years of not having a place to play? So that is a concern. Now, if you're building it for the next hundred, maybe you should just suck it up and do it. But like for Ohio Stadium, for instance, I, I don't think it's in a great spot. I don't think you'd want to change the spot. I I guess you could tear down St. John and build the new football stadium there while the old one's up. I don't know. That'd be awful. But across the street? Well, no, just from a, a traffic situation on game day. Well, I mean, it's going to be so there's but there's going to be logistics. I mean, there are yeah, certainly logistics involved if and when, whenever you do it. So, but like Northwestern's going to wind up either playing like at Soldier Field or in a high school stadium. I don't know where Northwestern's going to play for two years while they do this because they're they're building it on the same site. What do you think generally, though? This idea, Nathan, I do think this is a thing. This is a societal question. This is a sports question, like tradition versus modernization, holding on to the past but not being held back by the past. I, I think it is an interesting question around stadiums. 
So there are, I think, two roadblocks to what this texture is talking about. One of them, as you're saying, is the logistics of it. One person I talked to seemed to think that maybe at some point in the past, there was another site that was thought of as maybe being viable to put another stadium. But when I talked to Gene Smith, he was much more like, no, in order to ever replace it, you'd have to just like level Ohio Stadium and build it in the same footprint. And if you think about it, like it's it's a significant amount of space, like stadium, parking, the whole nine yards uh, to use more sports jargon. So I, that's the biggest, that's the first roadblock. The other big roadblock is just cost. Like when you're, look at the cost of professional stadiums and how often they seem to rebuild those. It seems like when we were like growing up, like stadiums would last forever. And now it's like, if a stadium gets to like 20 years, they're like, well, we got to tear it down and start a new one. I feel like Atlanta has built like five baseball stadiums in my lifetime or something like that. It feels like, and the cost of potentially several years ago, I do not have my notes in front of me. I apologize. Several years ago, Ohio state did a study. This is going back to when they did a renovation, um, there was a significant renovation several years ago. You know what I'm talking about, Doug? Like, I can't remember the exact dates of it, but yes, that lasted a couple of years. And maybe it's been about 20 years now. I, I can't remember. But they, at that time, the study that they did, I don't remember the exact number of what it would have cost to rebuild the stadium or build a new stadium, but I'm pretty sure that it started with a B, like billions of dollars, like one or $2 billion, something like that. And if you're a professional franchise, a lot of times that cost gets passed along to the taxpayers somehow in a real boondoggle that uh, has been going on for a long time. And I think there's a lot of studies out there that say that doesn't get really recouped in the uh, revenue and things. But colleges don't really have that option. It's not the same relationship to the community, actually. Ohio State has to f- pay for these costs and renovations and things itself. And I don't know if that could be breached into the greater columbus or ohio uh community if they wanted to raise that kind of money to build a new stadium from the studs up so that's the other issue that it's much more cost effective right now for ohio state to every few decades have to do a big renovation than to ever try to come up with a huge lump sum at one time to completely build a new hundred thousand seat modern stadium and the other and the other factor is Again, the people I've talked to, there's a lot of confidence that Ohio State could do just about whatever it wants to do with Ohio Stadium within the structure it has now, that they can keep renovating things. They're about to do, uh, they have another project coming up, I think, where they're going to put in some new suites and things like that. Like, they can keep modernizing it. They're going to do some more stuff. They're going to address the sound system with, with, you know, probably a new video board down the line. Like they feel like they can keep doing those things. I understand what the texture is saying about obstructed seats and stuff. There's probably some of that that you have to put up with because of the, the age of the stadium. But the idea that they're going to build like Jerry's world in the middle of Columbus, I don't think that's ever going to be a viable option. Yeah. And I do think Ohio stadium, I think actually did a good job with the shell over top of it. like, for instance, um, you think about, Soldier Field, for instance, where they try to do a similar thing, and like it, I think it turned out terrible. And it's one of the reasons Looks the really Bears good. are moving now, yeah. because they tried to wrap modern around old and failed. I think Ohio State wrapped modern around old and succeeded. They got to probably improve the bathrooms, right? There's some stuff that you can right. modernize along the way when you prioritize things, and and you do sort of modernize along the way. I, I do, 
I do think there's there's ways to do it. But the other thing is, it's not going to be 400 years old. Like at some point, they're going to have to do something, yeah. right? Or the earth will cease to exist. One of those two, two things will happen. So which one comes first? Um, it's going to be as, as much as I agree of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can't do that, whatever. At some point, the rubber meets the road and you got to do something. But but I, I do think you're probably right that like holding on. I don't know if it's luck or great planning. I think there's probably some great planning. I think a lot like they really did think about Ohio Stadium when they built it 100 years ago and they did a pretty great stinking job with it. And it, it allows you to do to be in a position here where you are kind of patching it together. But also, by the way, like every time you build a new bathroom trough or get a new video board, it's, you know. One more, you're not buying new foils for the fencing team, or you're not well, giving another coach a bonus because, you know, their team finished 500 or whatever. So it's all, they got to figure out how they want to spend money. And sometimes it's not on the stadium. But as I reported a few weeks ago, there's going to be a stadium upkeep fee that they're charging on tickets that's going to offset those things in the budget going forward. Great. All right. So, All right. so don't worry about so the like, stadium upkeep fee. Let's go. So it's like when, Let's go it's like, when pro, it's like when proteins build new stadiums and they, you know, they just take it out of the taxes of the city. Except yeah, this time, when proteins yeah. build stadiums. They're just like school funding. You don't need any new school funding. We're yeah. building a stadium. Yeah, upkeep fee. I don't know money. It's all a boondoggle. Just stay home, watch it on TV. Your bathroom's nice, right? If you don't like your bathroom, you can get a new toilet. For like. 300 bucks can't you we've already had that conversation nathan baird will come install your toilet and then it's like oh the toilets at ohio stadium are terrible it's like nathan just put a new toilet in your house just stay home and watch it on tv all right uh let's do this one steven this is interesting because this is kind of in the news right now it's stew in the 513 i don't know if you have officially stated on the pod whether you think cj stroud is better than justin fields however the way he is discussed as a heisman favorite as a qb who made the plays when he had to against penn state and has likely likely top five draft pick implies it implies that you think cj is better than justin i don't think so if cj's superpower is his processing then he shouldn't be getting thrown off to this degree against iowa and penn state justin definitely struggled with processing but i argue not to the degree that it previously seemed when stroud was picking apart a flawed purdue and michigan state last year justin has the same arm talent and much better running schools and we know he's a warrior well i think cj is very very good i don't think he can win you a game on his own quite like justin could uh the cj point guard analogy is accurate in that he would be a distributor who requires a little help from his skill players to take them over the top that's from stew so this becomes very interesting because guess what Justin Fields is getting it going in the NFL. And everybody is acknowledging that. Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, finally is putting some run plays in there. They're letting him use his legs to set up everything else he wants to do. Throwing the ball. Um, we know how dangerous Justin can be. He absolutely has the arm to do it. I think CJ is more accurate, right? But I think, I mean, Justin's got everything you want throwing the ball. And he's a, a great, great athlete. So, I do think there's a difference between there is always a difference between an NFL conversation and how successful when you are in the college game. So Steven, what is our official Buckeye talk position on who's a better quarterback at the college level, CJ Stroud or Justin Fields? I think we did a pod on this back in the off season. Um, I think CJ Stroud is the better quarterback than Justin Fields is. I think Justin Fields is the better football player and athlete, but when it comes well, to and, playing, but, I, but like, and I think some of that, like, 
the guy you want to play quarterback. Like if you had a game for Ohio State to play, it's like some of that stuff. I don't I don't even know like what that means anymore sometimes because they're both playing yeah. the same position and they clearly play it differently. Yeah. So like what does better quarterback versus better football player and athlete mean? Like we know what you're saying, but also like I like so make a decision. It's like what do we who would we rather have playing quarterback for Ohio State? It's Ohio State, everybody else on the field is the same. And would you rather have Justin or CJ? I'd rather have CJ. Because I, I don't I don't think CJ was bad the last two weeks. He completed 73% of his passes the last two games and was pretty efficient. And then when we needed and then when Ohio State needed him to go be a be the guy down the stretch those last nine minutes, he went and did that with back with back to back really good throw throws to Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka. So he did all that. I I think he's the better quarterback than Justin Fields is. And, and I think part of the conversation, Stephen, that we referenced on that podcast, we talk about a lot of different positions. You're sort of like, right, you're the evolution of man kind of thing. Is like yeah. one leads to the other, leads to the other. And I think we kind of had decided that CJ was sort of like the next evolution past Justin in, in a very different way, as everybody listening to this understands. When we say, hey, CJ and Justin play the position differently, everybody knows what that means. But that CJ is sort of just like in the system, kind of the next thing. So I do think I, I'm vaguely remembering that pod now. We, CJ, we, we've done a defensive end, running back, receiver. We do it all the time. Yeah, CJ opens up part of this passing game. I mean, Ohio State's passing game is what's going to win the national championships going forward, as long as Ryan Day and Brian Hartline are here. I think we can all agree on that. CJ opens up a part of the passing game that Ryan Day never touched with Justin Fields. Even second year, Justin Fields never got to the level of, oh, we're throwing the ball over the middle time and time again. It felt like there was a time I know we definitely talked about that. There was like a year and a half or a year and a third with Justin when it was like, it felt like they didn't throw a pass over the middle the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then they finally started to do it a little bit. And we were like, oh, oh here they go. And, and CJ just like, happened. <laughs> CJ's like middle of the field, yeah. middle of the field. Like I'll do that 20 times a game. So Nathan, what do you think of this question? And I do want to have a just NFL conversation because I do think it's important and it does matter to Ohio State fans. But this question of like right now, who's the better quarterback for an Ohio State football team? Would you pick CJ Stroud or Justin Fields? So that's I wanted to make sure that you which question we were answering, because I think there were like five of them. They're like, who's a better passer? Who's a better quarterback? Who do you want if you're going to go win a game? And I think if I had to pick one to go win a game, I think I might pick Justin Fields. For I will give two two data points. One is I don't know that we've ever seen C.J. Stroud be as good as for, an, for, for as what Justin Fields was at the start of the 2020 season. Like his first three games in 2020, and I know one game was against what was it? It was Nebraska, Penn State, and maybe Rutgers was the third one. I don't remember exactly who. Yeah, Rutgers. they weren't the and most you know. Rutgers and and uh, Penn State was all right, but but C.J. Stroud gets to play those same programs. And those three games, C.J. Stroud, or I'm sorry, Justin Fields, 86.7% completions, 10.9 yards per attempt, and 11-0 touchdown interception ratio, and mixed in a 54-yard rushing game with a touchdown in one of those games. Like, And then on top of that, and some of this is opportunity and who that, that maybe C.J. Stroud hasn't had yet, but like the defining moments of Justin Fields' career at Ohio State, to me, are two things. It's coming back on the field in 2019 at Ann Arbor after getting hurt again and throwing the touchdown pass on the first play. And the sound he made in the when he sat down for the postgame interview in the 2020 uh, Sugar Bowl. 
where he had just been like broken in half during that game. And he comes in and makes, I can't recreate it. Like this sound of like all this weariness and pain and relief just kind of like coming out of him because of kind of a very, like just the performance he had put up that day against Clemson. And it's not that I don't think CJ Stroud can do that, but I've seen Justin Fields do it. And if it's just about winning the game, that's probably why I would pick him right now. But CJ Stroud still has a handful of games left to have his own moment like that. So let me ask this question. One, I get it. Yeah, Justin Fields is showing a level of toughness that's kind of ridiculous, but also you can't. I mean, CJ just hasn't been knocked out of a game. Um, but- True. And I and I, I want to interject real quick because I answered this in a Hey Nathan recently. Somebody was trying to say like, are we worried that CJ Stroud's not tough? And I'm like, I am not worried about that. Like, I feel like he's a pretty tough no. guy too. The way he tried to play through the injury last year when it was obvious that arm was killing him. I, like, I think he's a pretty tough guy too. Running down the field and getting hit is just as tough as standing in the pocket and you when you know you're getting ready to get hit and you're still making a throw those both are toughness things but my point for cj is this does jackson smith the jigba have the season he had last year if justin fields is the starting quarterback uh probably not i mean i think we saw justin when he had three receivers kind of like not throw to the third receiver and maybe that was jameson williams was a big component of that but probably not distribute the same way that that cj did last year the whole knowing what we know about james Right, but but just knowing what we know about Jamison now, Jamo probably was the best way to accentuate Justin Fields' talent because of that strong arm, and they just didn't throw him the ball. While with Jackson Smith the dig, but we already know what that is. I've said that millions of times at this point. And they threw him the ball, and they almost had three guys at 1,000 yards because of so it. I, and I also think in a world where Jackson Smith and Jigba is not playing right now would the offense still be humming along in the same way right um i do think i think and i know steven you pointed this out i think you had a tweet about it the throw to mecca against penn state down the field in it's a in a tiny window that cj made last week Mm -hmm. i think there are probably two or three throws a game that cj makes in a tight window and puts it on a guy's hands that justin maybe wouldn't make and just like there are two or three plays that Justin makes escaping pressure and getting away from a sack that CJ wouldn't be able to do. Maybe Justin would run and CJ is not as good at that, that, that he would do that CJ would do in a game. But I, I do think this goes back to the, co- it's, it's the, it's every conversation about CJ Stroud. And I think I went on for a while about it in one of the rants a couple of weeks ago. What he does best is harder to see. So the conversation about C.J. Stroud versus Justin Fields is not all that different than the conversation of C.J. Stroud versus Hendon Hooker, right? That you can, when Mm -hmm. Justin does it, it's like, oh, what, how did a human do that? And by the way, Justin will put a deep ball right on your fingertips 55 yards down the field too. We're not saying, Justin Mm -hmm. took all those freebie 15-yard outs because his arm is like a freaking laser that we, like not everybody can take those. But I do think C.J. is generally more accurate like throws probably a more catchable ball kind of stuff, that kind of thing. And so I think I would take CJ because when you, you're going to have receiver talent at Ohio state, it's one of those things. And now let's transition the conversation a little bit. And I do think this is happening. And I've, it's been in my head about CJ Stroud on the NFL and CJ Stroud in this da- draft status. Justin is kind of, le- there's another conversation happening in the NFL and maybe it's not happening with GMs and scouting departments. Maybe it's just happening with NFL writers. But Justin has started another scrambling quarterback conversation at the NFL level. And just how much that is such an advantage. 
to get you out of trouble, to do to turn negative into positive. And they're doing a better job in Chicago of running the ball with Justin, but also he's making miraculous plays and picking up third and longs with his feet that CJ's just not going to do in the NFL. And you go, this always happens. You're back and forth on this stuff. Josh Allen is running people over and, the, and Lamar Jackson is amazing. And then people want it, guys who can run a little bit. And all of a sudden, Matthew Stafford wins a Super Bowl. And it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe you just want a guy who can be a distributor and bing, bang, boom to his receivers. I wonder if the conversation does shift at all at the NFL level. And you have a draft with Bryce Young, who again is not a runner, but is more slippery than CJ. Will Levis at Kentucky, who might be Josh Allen Jr., now, he might be Josh Allen's like baby cousin, and it's like, all right, well, I guess you kind of look like Josh Allen, but I don't want a baby running my offense. So it's easy to say like, oh, it's like a kind of a big guy, and it's like we don't know if he's accurate or not. He's Josh Allen. Josh Allen might be once in a generation. But Will Levis, there's going to be a conversation. Hendon Hooker, Shahan and I on the College Football Survivor Show broke down Georgia, Tennessee. He had a stat that like Hendon Hooker's run like, for 24 first downs or something this year. Mm-hmm. Like he ran the ball five times. He ran for five first downs against Alabama. Like he is a, he is an absolute drive saver because as soon as you think you have him, he escapes and runs. And so when CJ gets to the NFL, Nathan, I still, you still see a lot of drafts, projected mock drafts where CJ is the number one pick, but that is not him. It's just not. So if you find teams that just want a guy who can do all the quarterback stuff, all the pocket stuff, all the arm-diagnosed stuff, but also can run, can escape, and do all that. And maybe they don't do the pocket stuff as well as CJ, but they do it well enough, and then they do the other stuff. I wonder what the draft conversation around CJ is going to be because they're finally the Bears are finally figuring out how to use Justin, and in that way, CJ is not Justin. But if you want Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, then then that's C.J. Stroud, right? Joe Burrow, that's C.J. Stroud. Joe Burrow against the Browns, Jamar Chase was out. He held onto the ball. He got eaten up by Miles Garrett, and they looked terrible, right? That's one bad game. I think it's kind of one weird bad game for the Bengals. But I do think it's interesting how different they are and how that will translate when C.J. gets to the league. And the the Bears Fields thing is an interesting case study in this because you have a new regime that just came in this year in Chicago. So it wasn't the people who drafted him and picked him. This is a, a whole new setup. And you could tell, and because I tweet texted about this to our subscribers right after that uh, game against the Commanders. It was, a, I think, a Monday night game. And the, that offensive performance was spectacularly bad i thought from chicago but you had a a coaching staff that i think was asking justin fields to be something he wasn't like they kind of said in the the talk during that game was like listen either he's gonna like you know he needs to figure out how to do this kind of offense or the bears are just gonna maybe draft someone else next year so two years in and they're already be giving up on a, a first round pick and but what the bears did after that game and i think impartially in response to the criticism of that game was start constructing an offense for Justin Fields. So do, does the do teams look at it next year and say, this is our system and we need a passer for that system? Or do they look at it and say, this is what a guy does to win football games. Let's build a system to win games with him. The bears were not doing that until very recently. Um, and, and Justin Fields didn't play well that game anyway, but I think his comfort level has gone up as they built a, a system for him. So I think it, Stroud could be one of those interesting guys where 
he could fall on draft day, much like Justin Fields did, depending on the order of teams and what their priority is. Uh, the Eagles are probably a prime example of that, of, okay, this yes. is what our quarterback is. So let's like get things around him that complement that. And then let's go win some football games. So there, right. I mean, the bears already see the formula with the Eagles. Yeah. The bears and were like I don't tripping think over themselves. Them. I was say the bears were like tripping yeah, over themselves were, at the same time. The Eagles, and the Eagles were like six and oh, and I'm like, well, this is easy math yeah. to do guys. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like they're trying to turn him into Justin Herbert when you need to be looking at Jalen Hurts. I think Justin Fields. All that is, I agree with, right. I agree with all the things you said, but I think I even said this on the pod when we did this back in the offseason. I'll get behind that when the freak athletes start winning more Super Bowls because the guys who are built like Stroud are the ones who are winning the, winning the trophies. As good as these other guys are, like, the goat well, is I like mean, like Stroud is more like Tom Brady than he is like Michael Vick. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're well, saying, but also only one team went to Super Bowl, and like the Ravens are incredibly successful because of Lamar Jackson, and the Bills are the best team in the NFL right yeah. now because of Josh Allen, and so there are examples. It's not like I don't think the athletic quarterbacks are like smoke and mirrors. I don't. What's no, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm, I'm not like trying to devalue it. I mean, but also these are the same Ravens who have yet to pay Lamar Jackson yet. But is, I, I'm just saying that if the goal here is to maximize your chance to win a Super Bowl, then you should probably draft. I'm not, if you don't draft them, if you draft the athlete, then build around your athlete 100%. But on draft day, you should probably lean towards the type of quarterback who has historically won the Super Bowls. Is, is yeah, I mean, I think people look at it in different ways. I, I, I do think like the smaller athletic quarterbacks, that's a different conversation. Even though, yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray, but, like, uh, Bryce is a smaller athletic quarterback and it's not a fair comparison to Kyler because I think Bryce Young is like a lot more poised than Kyler is, but Bryce is small and it is going to be a conversation um, about how big and strong CJ is in Mm -hmm. the pocket compared to Bryce Young. Um, Just, Justin, just real quick, the last three games, Justin Fields running it 12 for 88, 14 for 82 and eight for 60. Um, And that's a jump from where he was before. But do you know how many times in eight games this year Justin Fields has thrown for more than 200 yards? Once. 208 yards against the Vikings. This is high for the year. So, like, I think C.J. Stroud will fall out of bed and throw for 200 yards per game in the NFL. That'll be his worst game. So, again, like, it is – they're very different. I think you can win with both. I think they are both franchise quarterbacks. But don't underestimate accuracy – diagnosing, processing, setting protections, all that kind of stuff. And it's not like it's we're not saying CJ is infallible, right? He's not Peyton Manning yet. Mm-mm. But but don't underestimate the things CJ does well because Justin is a better athlete and sometimes the things he does are more spectacular. Uh all right, let's move on. Let's do a, a running back conversation here that I do think is is interesting. This is our guy Evan in Oregon. If you're one and two are on the coaches and your three is on the player, then how are we to evaluate Tony Alford? The second year regression for J.K. Dobbins and Travion Henderson has been on Alford, and we are missing a prime year for two huge guys. The stats may or may not support this, but I was expecting a Marvin Harrison Jr. type year from Henderson, and it hasn't felt that way, Evan and Oregon. I think this is pretty interesting because I it's – the Tony Alford conversation with both those backs, Nathan, starts with huge credit for getting them here. 
because neither J.K. Dobbins nor Travion Henderson is an automatic Buckeye. When we talk mm-hmm. about like skins on the wall, show me the guy that you got here that not every coach at your position would have gotten that guy here. J.K. Dobbins and Travion Henderson are absolutely both those guys. So they're here. That's a credit to Tony Alford. Then they're awesome as true freshmen. That is another credit to Tony Alford because he got these guys ready to be huge big-time contributors to the stinking Ohio State Buckeyes running the ball one year out of high school. Then year two gets sideways. And it seems like, man, where's the leap? So that's that's against Tony Alford. And then year three from J.K. Dobbins, you ran for 2,000 yards and was an absolute beast. Warrior, tough, fast, strong. And so for 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 J.K. Dobbins in the end, Nathan, and J.K. Dobbins and Tony Alford like father and son. You guys read the story I did this summer for Father's Day. For Tony Alford and J.K. Dobbins, there's like four data points. It's like three very positive. Recruiting him freshman year, junior year. And then there's like kind of a negative for the, for the sophomore year. I think Trayvon Henderson, there's positive for the recruiting, positive for the freshman year. And the sophomore year is a little rough. But it is interesting that it's happening again. How do we think about this, Nathan? I'm st- I'm still a little hesitant to lump them together. I understand why, though, it starts to see like, seem like a trend, and it's it's a fair conversation to have for sure. I what what sets it apart for me though is one of the things that's happening right now with Trevian Henderson is it's not like it's not like they're going away from him to Mayan Williams, and then that also isn't working. But then they're just sort of forcing it. Like Mayan Williams is really producing when he gets the ball in his hands. For the most part, not so much the last two weeks, but that wasn't partially. He didn't get to play very much against uh, Penn State, and the whole running game was clogged up against Iowa. So, but for most of this season, Mayan Williams has been getting it done at a level ahead, equal to or ahead of Trevor Henderson, right? And I don't know that we've looked at this year the same way that we have looked at. 20 that you guys looked at 2018 right because in 2018 it seemed like every time they didn't give the ball to the way it's kind of been described to me like it was it seemed more obvious that jk dobbins should be getting more carries and i it hasn't felt that way to me this year that we've had certainly we've had these discussions like well which one you think is really better or which one is more electric or which one has more upside and we keep having those discussions but it's not like where anyone is really saying well they shouldn't be giving the ball to mine because he keeps getting the job done no i actually think it's a it has turned into a pretty pretty reminiscent conversation there were people in 2018 who thought mike weber was the better back i never thought that for one second but you could find people who argued that and it wound up being that in using them both did you get the best out of either of them so i did not think it would wind up that way but steven it's it's certainly closer to 2018 than i ever expected yeah 2018 mike weber 5.5 yards per carry on 172 carries, J.K. Dobbins 4.6 yards per carry on 230 yards per carry. Uh, so far this season, Mayan Williams on 76 carries, 6.9 yards per carry. Trayvon Henderson from 5.8 yards per carry on 96 carries. The, the, the only difference really is it's not actually series by series two back system, and that's because they both have just been in and out the lineup so much that both have actually gotten their own fair share of like I'm the workhorse this game. Mayan Williams has just done a better job in those situations of being the workhorse. I, I don't know. I think some of this is you don't use them quite the same. Like JK got to kind of be the dude the first couple of weeks in 2017 because Mike Weber was hurt. 
And it was like, oh, he's really good. But then Mike Weber comes back and they try to make it a two back system. In year one, it was after after the Tulsa game, it was just Travion Henderson's job. And so we got to see them use him every way that he should be used, whether it's, you know, between the tackles, outside zones, even in the passing game where he has not necessarily been a factor at all this season. It's been kind of limited the amount that they've used Travion Henderson, while, of course, the things that they have had him do, he hasn't been successful at. So I'm wondering, JK admitted to us right after the season, yeah, I hated this so much. Travion keeps talking about how he loves the two back system and it keeps him fresh. And even in high school, now he was, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, get you to that second contract for, you know, and you're more healthy and you extend your career and all that stuff. I'm, if Mayan Williams goes pro after this year and we get to the spring and Ryan Day's like, yeah, Travion's our dude. He's our dude from day one. If we talk to Travion when we get running backs, he's like, yeah, I hated that. I want the ball. And then 2023, we see JK Dobbins 2.0. Well, but 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 it, it, I don't know that this would still be a big departure from the plan that he had from the year. If, 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 if in third year you become the featured guy, you still save the wear and tear for those first two years. But it's also like yeah. the, the other op, the other conversation here is, Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. In 2018, it wasn't like there were injury concerns about J.K. Dobbins, but there are durability concerns about Trey Van Henderson. He needs a second guy. So I, I do think like Trey's – ineffectiveness at times opened the door for Mayan more than in 2018 when they kind of just decided they just wanted to play mm-hmm. both guys. I, I kind of lost the thread on the comparison there for a second. They basically had the exact same freshman year. So like JK Dob- Dobbins had 194 carries as a freshman. Travion Henderson had 183. Mm-hmm. JK Dobbins had 1,403 rushing yards as a freshman. Travion Henderson had 1,248. So like they had, I, like I got, they had like they had the same freshman year. Like regardless of what anybody else did around them, they got the ball the same. Because even the idea of like, oh well, Travion was the guy last year and Jake had up. They didn't use Travion that much. They weren't running the Travion twenty five times a game, like down the stretch after the Tulsa game. As we said, he didn't really. He wasn't like he was cranking out one hundred and forty yard games. Right. So, um, I think it is a reasonable comparison, more reasonable than I ever expected. I think it actually might be a spot-on comparison that if, like, if this didn't happen at Ohio State and we were looking for kind of like five-star top 100 running backs with a great freshman year and then kind of like a sophomore slump, has that ever happened before? And it'd be like, oh, yeah, this J.K. Dobbins guy at Montana, it happened to him, except Mm -hmm. it happened here. So, but as we're saying, like, is that, like, on Tony Alford? I I, I don't – I think I'll, I think some, but I don't think it's like how dare this happen because Nathan, as you said, like Mayan's better than anybody ever expected, and that's also a guy in Tony Alford's room, right? So that's real. But I do think this is ex- two examples of of. And here's the thing that's hard. I think J.K. Dobbins and Travion Henderson certainly, from what we know, are two like very fine, level headed young men. I don't think this is like, hey, I'm busy with my NAL commercials or driving my Benz around. And like, that's why I had a bad sophomore year. I almost think they might be trying too hard. I don't know, but I do think there is something, as you said, Nathan, there's probably more of a physical aspect with Trevion because he has battled some stuff, but I do think there's like a psychological thing here that come here, busted as a freshman, it gets a little goofy, and then you get it back together as a junior, which is what everyone will be waiting for Trevion to do. And like, like whose quote fault is that? I, 
I don't know, but I think it's not unfair to to look at the position coach. But then they got like JK got it back, right? It's not mm-hmm. like you lost the guy. So I think that again is super important. So I do think it's a worthy data point of a negative, quote negative, but I do think you have to take into consideration the other data points which are very, very positive. In twenty eighteen also, correct me again if I'm wrong, but there was like there was a season long problem running the ball that might have superseded the backfield right like just the that that often they were running rpos and it was the first time that yeah. they had a quarterback right. who wasn't a run threat and they didn't know what to right. do with it and the so, offensive line was all jacked up and they threw it 80 times per game as a result just saying that there are some variables here but i think you bring up a good point that we have to be careful that we don't a player underperforming is the fault of the coach and a player uh overperforming surpassing expectations is just the player doing that on its own. Like I feel like Tony Alford does get some credit here for Mike Williams, but he himself said a few weeks back when he was asked about Trevion Henderson said he took part of the blame for himself and said, I need to like do some things that can help him some drills that can help with vision and stuff like that. And I've actually been kind of looking at like, what, what do coaches do to do that? Like, what is the thing that can help with that? And there are some drills out there that are, that are for that. So how much of that is innate, how much of that is something that he can be given can you give a running back vision? Can you, I, I don't know. Uh, some of this is something that Trevin Henderson is kind of just going to have to figure out from just the feel of playing the game, I think. I think what makes next year interesting, though, is Ohio State in 2019 also once again had a quarterback who was a legitimate run threat in Justin. That's not going to happen next year for Trevion. Like Kyle McCord isn't some upgrade as a runner from C.J. Stroud. They're pretty much the same runner. So this, this is not – it, that's not going to offset things. So it's going to be interesting to see it in that situation where it's like, okay, you're the dude, but like, it's not like in a read option, people are going to be keyed in on the quarterback to keep it. No, they're never running. I mean, but that's not what they do anymore. That right. was like 17, 18 was like the transition from JT Barrett to Dwayne Haskins. It was a first time thing. Like that's not how Ryan Day is going to use the quarterback anymore anyway, but it is, I mean, it is a common denominator of it's a running back where the whole run game's on you. Cause the quarterback doesn't run. Um, so, Okay. Let's. This is like a, a a side Tony Alford question from the five eight five. Has any reporter actually grilled Brian Hartline or Tony Alford about what X game coordinator? And this means Brian Hartline's a pass game coordinator. Tony Alford's the run game coordinator. What that actually means for them in a day to day responsibility level way. So I, I'll just say like that's. I don't think that's something to grill somebody about. It's a lot of it is a title. And you get a title and you get a pay bump and they like to have everybody have a title and that's fine. We've, I've asked a lot of questions this year for a story I hope to do about like what the process is like for the game planning. And so a lot of it is like Justin Fry and Tony Alfred go off and come up with run game stuff they like and Tony, uh, excuse me, Brian Hartline and Kevin Wilson go off and come up with pass game stuff they like and you bring plays that you like certain blocking schemes, certain types of plays that you think will work against that week's opponent. And then when you all get together and put the plan together and decide how you're going to go about it, it's like, okay, well, we want to run here. What kind of run play? Hey, run game coordinator, what's your input on that? But like Nathan, I don't, I think grills kind of like the wrong word for that question because like we, right. we kind of know what it is and you have a set of responsibilities, but you're still under the head coach and the offensive coordinator who are two guys have been calling plays forever. So. Yeah, if you first of all, if you were going to grill anybody about it, you'd grill Ryan Day, I guess. You'd grill like, why are you? What what do these titles mean for 
you now that you're paying these guys more to have these titles or whatever. Or you could even grill Gene Smith about it. I don't think you would grill the the coaches themselves about it. Um, but I, I also think that it, it, part of it is let's I mean let's just use the word like cosmetic. Like some of it is just the titles. But I think there is also as I think you're trying you're alluding to, and hopefully we do get to do some reporting about this. Like. I think what's happening in that offensive room is has evolved a little bit this year. You add Justin Fry, who has some of his own like coordinator ish responsibilities and background. And obviously Kevin Wilson has always kind of been there as the, like a very qualified offensive coordinator in his own right, who doesn't really get to call plays. And there's, there's an interesting mix of minds in that room right now. And I, I, I would be curious to find out more, about exactly what the input is that Alford and Hartline have in that room, especially considering how many other legitimate coordinators are. Already, like you've got three other people in that room who've been college offensive coordinators already, and now you're adding those guys on top of it. I think the titles themselves are just a way to get people raises, but it is interesting to see that Brian's now been doing this for a couple of years. Tony's been here for basically a decade now, almost. And as Nathan said, there's a bunch of other guys who have had coordinator at some point in their career attached to their title. If they've already said it's a collaborative effort in there, how much more collaborative is it now that Brian Hartline is more confident and comfortable in what he wants to bring to the table than he was in 2019 when he was the guy who had just gotten the job? So does it just just mean some guys talk more than they used to? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's that much intrigue to it. Like, we know what it's like. Ryan Day's show, Kevin Wilson is the co-pilot. Everybody else can say their stuff, but Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson have the decision-making in the end. But it is a little bit different. You're not just in charge of your guys in your room. You you have a contribution to make in the aspect of the offense that your room is part of. And so you can make play suggestions, and you do look at a a little bit of a bigger picture. And Tony's been doing it a little bit longer. But I know Ryan Day made that comment, right, about Brian Hartline this year. He's looking at the offense a little bit more holistically. And guess what? Tony Alford has said he wants to be a head coach. I think Brian Hartline very well may be interested in being a head coach and having a big, a bigger picture view is all very valuable, but I th- that's We get it. it. You don't have to grill him on it. Like we, we get it. Everybody knows what this actually is. All right. This is an, another one related to that. And I've been saving this. It's Brad from Youngstown who sent it a couple of weeks ago in the three, three Oh, I do really feel like this coaching staff, excuse me. I like this coaching staff. I like this coaching staff. And they have made huge strides this year. And I think this team is just getting started. But I'm worried that the coaching staff may not want to plant its roots here and just hop and they'll just hop off to the next head coaching gig like Jeff Halfley in 2019. Do we have any type of inclination that uh, once this year is up, a key part of the staff may leave? And Nathan, I'll start with you because you are actually working on a story about a guy that this question might apply to. Yeah, I mean, Justin Fry admits that he wants to be a head coach someday. Like, that's his goal. It's been his goal for a while. He doesn't doesn't have to happen soon for him. He's only, I think, 39. It, it It's not like he's dying to jump at the first job that's available. I think if you were to ask Brian Day, somebody did recently about Jim Knowles, too, that it seems like this is a place where that he could stay for a long time, that he isn't one guy that's necessarily looking for a head coach job. I think Tony Alford definitely is. Kevin Wilson has said that he wants to be a head coach someday. But those, again, are also people that like the job that they again, have again, head coach again, again. Yes. Again, head coach again. Yes. And but yeah. those are also people who have really great jobs 
and that are probably going to be somewhat choosy about which job they take. And the one thing I guess that we haven't maybe speculated about as it relates to Jim Knowles is whether an NFL team would pluck him away to be their defensive coordinator at some point. Maybe they could would pay enough to, to pull him away. That's maybe one thing I hadn't considered, but would now consider now that if he starts, if he does this now at back-to-back places where the, the turnaround is so uh, distinct and impressive that somebody else tries to, somebody from a higher level tries to pluck him away. Uh, that could be a hard thing for Ohio State to compete with, but maybe short of that, I think he's probably here long-term. And the other levels, you know, I think if Kevin Wilson leaves, I think he has helped this program, but I think you shuffle some things around. Your main play caller is still here and you you fill that spot. Uh, as you've said before, Doug, like any offensive, any assistant coach leaving, maybe literally any of them shouldn't be like devastating for Ohio State. Like you've got the resources, you've got the brand, you know, you've got the talent, like you should be able to attract whoever you want to replace him. I think you bring up a good point about Knowles. I don't know if he wants to work with millionaires. He just feels like it might, he might be, that well, may be more true. of a college guy. I mean, that could be wrong. But to be fair, very quickly here, he could be working with millionaires anyway. No, I know. That That's is changing course. a little it's bit. Different. And you can, yeah. and Ohio State is also by paying so him what they're paying him. Have you guys hung around, have you guys hung around millionaires? It's, it's not changing that much. 26-year-old millionaires are very different than 19-year-olds with oh, this is, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Is a, it is a different world, and yeah. you are not in charge of them. Right. Correct. You are not in charge of 26-year-old millionaires. Yeah, you're at least in charge of a 20-year-old millionaire. Yes. And I'm not saying <laughs> that like Jim Knowles couldn't work with 26-year-old millionaires. I'm not sure it would make him happy. So um, I do think that the thing – like it's natural for people to bring up Halfley. Halfley was – I don't know if devastating is the right word, but Halfley's departure threw them off – because it was Ryan Day's first year and he and Halfley was a pocket guy, right? Halfley was a, hey, we know each other. We like each other. Hey, if you get a head job, you hire me. If I get a head job, I'll hire you. We're in this together. Boom, bang, boom. Let's go. We're friends. We used to hang out, you know, whatever. And you left? Like there's nobody that could leave now that would be as difficult to replace as that was because of the circumstance. Cause Ryan day is now established as a head coach, but that was like Ryan. It's like, everybody has those guys. Your first staff is your best staff. Cause this is your dream staff. It's like, Hey, who are you going to, it's like, if I, if I ever get hired as a head coach, here's who I'm, I'm taking with me. And that was, and, and then when it's the guy on the opposite side of the ball, right? The, the right. opposite, the coordinator opposite of the head coach is the most important guy on the staff. And that guy was here for a year, was good, and left. And nobody ever, ever, ever expected it. And now as Jeff Halfley loses to UConn, maybe it's like, uh, Because, like, for a while, like, again, I just love when the national media falls in love with guys. They did it with Jed Fish at Arizona last offseason, and Arizona was, like, 2-36. and 36, And they did it with Jeff Halfley this offseason. It's like, oh, Jeff Halfley, if James Franklin's, like, has Boston College won a game? Like, I don't – it's great. It's fine. But, you know, you play the media game and everybody's your friend and it's like, oh, a great feature story. And it's like, is your team any good? So, like, it's not going great for Jeff Halfley. And I'm not – I don't think it was a terrible decision to leave. He's a Northeast guy. What better job are you going to get in the Northeast than BC? And he maybe could have had Rutgers at the time too. And he chose Boston College. But also, they lost to UConn. So, whatever would happen if Justin Fry would leave, if Kevin Wilson would leave, um, 
if Perry Eliano would leave, any of that stuff would not be as devastating as Halfley thing. If Knowles was here for a year and left, that'd be tough. But it would be absolutely shocking. Like, I don't even think that's worth planting a seed of like, unless Jim Jim Knowles is like, yeah, I was just in college until I won a national championship. Now I'm good. I'm going to the league. It's like, hey, the Eagles called. (laughs) It's over, right? Like Nick Sirianni is like, you know what? The Eagles like made it to the the NFC championship game and lost. And he says, I need a schemer to get us over the top. Jim, come now. Actually, now he's gone. Okay. Well, now I just created the only scenario that Jim Knowles could not turn down. Jim, come home to save the Eagles. There's nothing Ryan Day can do. I, I think it would be tough, especially because you've now priced yourself into a place where there's only so many guys in the country that are actually worth paying $1.9 million a year to coordinate your defense. Mm-hmm. So if he leaves, it sets off a whole thing with like optics where like, well, none of those guys are on the market or we couldn't pry them away. So now we're only paying this much for a DC. So we're almost like admitting that we're stepping down in DC. Like that's where it would be get kind of weird and get kind of sideways. But the $1.9 million obviously helps keep Jim Knowles here, not only because it's what the annual salary is, but because there's a buyout attached to his contract that would be more, maybe, maybe prohibitive for anybody to buy him out for the short term. Or, or when Boston College inevitably fires Jeff Halfley, Ryan Day can pull a Thanos. And where and that bring Jim you. Knowles. So that's yeah. what we're creating Jim Knowles to the Eagles, Jeff Halfley back to yeah. Ohio State. And no, it's, it's like, fine. you Everybody's thought great. you could go out on your own. And where did that bring you? It, it worked me. out great. Look how happy everybody is. Oh, we figured it out. Congratulations. We solved everybody's problem. I would be, I mean, I think the chances of Jim Knowles like leaving after this year yeah. are like less than 1%. And, so it's not even really mm-hmm. a conversation worth having. By the way, Boston it College is bad. Jim. Boston College had two bowl eligible seasons before they got bad this year. So Halfley may be able to turn that around. So basically, uh, they had a bad season when most of the roster were his players that he recruited. And he was good. Saying, like it was another guy's guys that they just, recruited. Shivved him just right there. I know. Oh, oh, when it's his fair. players, they think. That's fair. Oh, that's, that's fair. fair. That's fair. The heart of the matter. That's, that's fair. real. All right, let's do this quickly. I don't know if people have strong opinions on this or not. From the four one nine, Burger King is absolutely terrible, and I'm so over their gimmicky advertising. Everything they do feels like desperation. From the black Halloween buns to the impossible Whoppers, which are scientifically proven to be more unhealthy for you than a real Whopper, to their grandstanding about cow farts. I missed that. Are they going out of business? When I was a kid, BK felt like the fancier option. They had great fries and their burgers were pretty dang good, but now their menu is bottom of the barrel gross. My wife goes there when she's feeling cheap and doesn't want to spend more than a couple bucks on a meal. I'd rather starve. From the 419, that comes in hot, and I totally get where that texture is coming from. Because when I was a kid, it felt like, well, when I was a kid, it was like a treat to go to McDonald's. But then, like, Burger King was like, man, they got the flame broiled. Are, are we in a steakhouse? And now I feel like Wendy's has stolen the fast food fancier burger from Burger King. And McDonald's is still the, eh, I just need to put food in my body option. And Burger King is trapped in this in-between wasteland of nothing. And as much as I eat in my car, I probably don't eat a Burger King more than twice a year. And I probably, I maybe haven't eaten Burger King in 500 days. I, who goes to Burger King? 
Well, I, I totally am vibing with this text. I, I think they're lost also. So I actually sometimes get a craving for Burger King for that grilled taste that I'm sure is actually sprayed on chemicals and is not actually the grill. I'm sure of it. But I sometimes get like that Whopper, a craving for the Whopper taste. I do not know where I'm trying to think like right now, where my closest Burger King is. I cannot. There isn't one over by OSU that I remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about my neighborhood around here, this like the, the Whitehall Bexley corridor. Like I can't think of like where the closest Burger King is. It's like very out of sight, out of mind for me. So uh, so I hear what they're saying about Burger King. But Stephen and I were having a conversation low on our drive across the Pennsylvania wilderness about uh, <laughs> as we actually as we were going through the McDonald's drive through about how McDonald's is basically trash now. Like when I was a kid, I like, yeah. and I'm I'm like lamenting it because like if I go sit in McDonald's to work now, it's like such a low rent experience, and it's kind of dreary and sad. And I like I was th- like growing up, like my parents would take me to McDonald's, and it was like the happiest place in the world. And now I feel like I don't want to ever take my son into a McDonald's. Like it's 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 like a I don't even know what the comparison is. It's it's rough. But well, they used to have playgrounds, and they used to have like they used Ronald, have used to have like Ronald McDonald statues and stuff. And I feel yeah. like they've reduced that. Yeah, they've reduced like the family atmosphere. I do like the fact that you're complaining about your office conditions. You're like, uh, McDonald's. This is not very conducive to writing a story. You could just go to Panera or Starbucks. You do know that, well, right? No, I'm, that's true. I'm, that's I'm glad that it's there. I, I, I value it more as an office experience than I do as a dining experience. I think is their problem. I will say the thing that I like about Burger King that stands out is the onion rings. Like you can't get onion rings anywhere else, but also my body can't process onion rings. So if I go to Burger King, I have to lock myself in a room for eight hours or I destroy the world. So that also keeps me away from Burger King. But the yeah. onion rings are lovely. And then I know people say you ask for the half fries, half onion rings, and it's a delicious little side. But the onion rings are not enough to carry the day for the king. I think I know if- for a fact I have not had burger king as an adult at all i don't think i mean as a matter of fact i probably have had like burger king four times in my life that was not our fast food place of choice so i agree with the yeah. texture burger king clearly stinks i also don't eat fast food that op- often so i'm not the best person to have this opinion that's why we don't talk about food. it with you yeah you're terrible at talking about fast food because you're too healthy it's your fault I do think if well, sorry, Wendy's I want to live you and your oh i'm gonna i'm gonna treat my body like a temple i'm gonna drink kale I'm Excuse Stephen me for, Means. I drink kale. I don't eat French fries. It's terrible podcasting. If, it's good for your body. I sacrifice my body every day in the name of this podcast. The things that I do to my body and my digestive system mm. to create interesting fast food content. I'm going to be sending Cleveland.com bills from my hospital room when I'm 55. And Stephen Means is like, I'm going to live to 110. I don't eat fast food. I would love Terrible that. fast food podcasting, Stephen. Sometimes you got to think of your of your company first and your body second. Like CJ Stroud said about running, so oh, you know I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit back here and eat my healthy food. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And I'm like I'm like Johnny Manziel. I'm like the yeah. Johnny Manziel. I'm just like spinning in circles, shoving fries in my mouth. I don't care. I'll do anything. Uh, what was that, Nathan? I was saying maybe this is too close to like our specific needs for McDonald's. But if if Wendy's and Burger King like up to their Wi-Fi game, I think they might be able to just like blow McDonald's out of the water because the is food true. is clearly better. But I go to McDonald's a lot more because I know I can get 
like very good working Wi-Fi there all the time. And that's the key. Think- like if you can get you to sit in there, eventually you're gonna get hungry. And you're gonna the logic is I'm already here. Might as well get a burger. At the very least, I'm getting my you one dollar. You think the food at Burger King burger. is sick? Yeah. You think the food at Burger King is significantly better than McDonald's? I think uh, yes. Okay. Not the, not the fries. Probably the fries. I think are a little bland. I like McDonald's fries better. I like I like the the chicken nugget, the chicken McNugget experience being kind of like a singular thing compared to other fast food nuggets. But I like the burgers better at Burger King. But I feel like at Burger King, I can taste that they maybe once were flame broiled, but then they definitely were microwaved. This is what I'm talking and about. So, like, it's I can tell like, on. you put this in the microwave. You like the like frame, the flame broil, then microwave is your ideal way of yeah, eating a burger. No, well, but at least it's got the flame broiled. I feel like the McDonald's stuff is mostly like re- you can see it back there, the little trays that they're sticking them in that they just sit there for hours on end waiting for somebody to come order them. I mean, it's all. I mean, we're having it. It's all. It, it's, it's all, all one big, the same pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's at four star, five star. All right. Quick break. When we come back, a couple more things to get to on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, this is an issue that we do have to address. We have to address it. From the 937. This is the second word like talking about how we talk. It's Howard and Charlotte. How in the world is JT's name actually pronounced? Trying to spell it phonetically, you guys say it JT Tui Malowow. Everyone else in the media says JT Tui Malowow. His his pronunciation got it, uh, is screwing me up. But those are the two Tui Malowow, Tui Malowow. Are you aware of this? I'm assuming since you have a closer relationship with him than Gus Johnson that you guys would be right. But I've loved some clarification. It's Howard and Charlotte. So I took note of this at Penn State because. Uh, Pre-game, good good announcers like press box stadium announcers come check pronunciations with the SID mm-hmm. to double check. Like, hey, you're a visiting team. I want to say guys' names correctly. And I was hearing the conversation that the press box announcer or whatever announcer was having, not like the TV announcer was having with Jerry Emig, the SID, and Jerry definitely said JT Tui Molowow. And then that's how they said his name in the press box. And we definitely do say Tui Malowow. It's just, the, is, the, is the accent on the third syllable or the fourth? And before this question, I asked then Jerry on Tuesday, I went over and said, say it again. And he said, it's like the, the candy Rolos. So Tui Rolowow, Rolo. It's not Rolowow. So pretend it's Rolo and then it's Molo. 
Tui Molowau. Maybe there's no accent, but it's not Tui Molowau, which is how I've been saying it. So I did not realize that I was saying it differently than other people, but I have definitely heard multiple Tui Molowau, not Tui Molowau. And so I think we're wrong. And I think we all say Tui Molowau. And it's Tui Molowau. And we just, the guy deserves to have his name pronounced how he how his family pronounces it. So I think, Nathan, we've been wrong on this. Yeah, I, I think one of my problems is it, it it's one of those names that you subconsciously you're trying not to drag it out that long. And I've probably tried to speed it up too much. So I think, yes, yeah. emphasizing the, the syllables and getting them the right way is the way to go. So five syllables, Tui Molowau. So that's how I'm saying it from now on. We apologize if we've been off in the past, which I, I certainly personally, I know that I have been. So thank you for drawing it to our attention. We got to say the guy's name right. He's, he, whether he's good at football or not, you got to say the guy's name right. So JT Tuimolowau. Also, it's pretty frustrating that Ryan Day keeps calling him JTT after he sat down the first time we ever talked to Jalen Tuimolowau. Is that right? Tuimolowau. 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 And he said that it, it's no extra T. Ryan Day continued to call him JTT. Well, all we can do is control ourselves. We're not in charge of the head coach. We can just control what we can control. Keep the thing, the thing. Actually, Uh, one more we should talk about. It's Emeka Ebuka. The G is not. No no G. Right. The G is absolutely silent. Ebuka. I believe that very strongly. Uh, I don't know, because we had Emeka out there one day, and while Emeka was standing there, Jay was taking us through the pronunciation. I think it might be egg boot. I think we get him. Um, we're doing this on Wednesday. Said, I think we get him Wednesday night so we can ask That was him what again. I was going I off of, actually, was what Jerry said. And I thought he was making it a point to say, hey, Buka. All right. We'll double check. Yeah, we're going to ask him tonight. We're not trying to be like, we're not trying to be. This is not funny. No, this, this is, is not no, genuinely trying this, to make sure we get these kids' names We're right. trying to make sure we get it right because we talk a lot. And when players are busting their butts and representing their families. They deserve to have their name said the proper way so that they and their family can hear that and get the proper credit they deserve. So we'll get this sorted out. Let's talk about tunnel stuff. We did not have much uh, success trying to talk about tunnel stuff. I was talking about that. Like I used my whole Ryan day question on Tuesday about tunnel stuff and got nada from the two, four, eight. In no way, shape, or form am I condoning what the Michigan State players did in the tunnel. Their actions were reprehensible, and the players deserve severe punishment. And another group of guys has gotten suspended. I think they suspended, like, I don't know if it's eight to ten guys at this point. But why on earth do we even have a situation where two teams are co-mingled together in the tunnel at the same time? There seems to be a simple solution that would have prevented this and future incidents in the Michigan Stadium tunnel. At the end of the half or the game, the visitors enter the tunnel and proceed to the locker room. Michigan remains on their sideline when the visitors are clear of the tunnel and in their locker room. Then and only then a stadium official gives Michigan sideline the all clear to leave their sideline and enter the tunnel. If a working stiff like me can think of it, why can't a billion-dollar enterprise? That's Brian. I, I think I don't think, Nathan, we had this conversation on air, but I think we had that exact conversation off air. Logistics matter, but the logistics exist. You can't blow up the stadium and build a new tunnel. So I don't know why they don't do it this way. I think Brian has the exact answer. And maybe the answer is this is how they will start doing it. Yeah, I just think it's planning. I think it's just being aware of the situation and having some forethought. And uh, you asked Ryan Day about it. I asked Gene Smith about it. And at first, when you first bring up Michigan, Michigan State, their quick reaction is, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, don't. Don't pull the pin off that grenade and hand it to me. But 
just talking generally about these logistical issues and you know gene smith's point is like this stuff could happen it's not just the tunnel he didn't want to blame the tunnel it's it's about behavior and it's all but it is also about anticipation i think from the people in charge and you know having a process by which the players the teams cross the field at ohio stadium having a process by which teams go up and down other tunnels because it's sometimes it's hard in a basketball arena for instance to like have sometimes those things diverge sometimes you're going up the same tunnel so it i think it's just thinking ahead and being smart about things i don't there when when michigan state is trying to go into its locker room down the one tunnel why is why are there any michigan players in the tunnel like i don't i i'm not putting the blame on the victim there because i think the michigan state players are a thousand percent out of line but why is the guy, th- I don't understand why he's there. Like, just make it a rule that you're waiting until all their personnel are cleared and you you avoid this. The behavior is clearly the problem, but how, how about you take away the, op- the opportunity for that behavior to exist in the first place? Yep. And that's the, that's a logistics thing. Tim May s- said, put up like a temporary partition, mm. like, you know, like build like a, like a metal thing that can, can move in and out and that it separates the tunnel. And so you can't, commingle with each other but there, run there are solutions i think it's well you can kick through you could fight through a curtain but yeah but something but actually i mean a curtain probably would have more power than you realize because you can't see each other right. and that would feel weird like i'm gonna i'm so mad i'm gonna go through the curtain so i mean they're, they're the adults and again it's not excusing the behavior but when we're, when you're when younger people fight the older people have to step in and say how can we prevent this from happening it doesn't excuse the fight but what can we do with the logistics to make sure it doesn't happen as much this is a question about Penn State tailgating. You guys got exposed to it uh, a little bit. Not sure if this is a rant. I've been to dozens of Ohio State games in my life, most at the shoe. I went to Happy Valley this weekend and was just blown away by the experience. The energy at the tailgating, their fans, the stadium experience was next level. I don't want it to sound like the Ohio State experience isn't top notch, but I don't think it's on par with theirs. And it was a noon game. I'm not sure we'd be able to replicate it, but they have set the bar high. That's from the 513. Steven, you had been to Penn State in 20 when there were no fans, but this was your first experience with the whole shebang, right? What'd you think? I loved it, especially since they don't leave. They were there all night. Nathan, we didn't leave till what, like 9.30 or something like that? And there's still some stragglers hanging around. There was music going on the entire time we were riding up there, so I think that's pretty cool. I'll say this, though. Uh, State College is up in the mountains and it's the most college town of college towns. And so there's not necessarily as much to do. So it seems like one of those places where that place comes alive on Saturday afternoons or Saturday nights in the middle of the fall. While there is, I mean, Columbus is more of a major city, so that probably plays a role in it. But I loved it. I love the actual atmosphere of the game. Um, I wish it would have been a night game so I could have experienced that as well. But I, it lived up to the building for me, both inside and outside the stadium. What do you think, Nathan? So I'm I can't really speak too much to the tailgating because we were you know we get out of our car and we're trying to get inside pretty fast. But uh, the 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 whole experience inside the stadium I thought is everything that Ohio State players I think were told to expect just from how loud it was, how rowdy it was in a positive way, not like a Michigan tunnel kind of way. Um, and and you did get a taste of, of the tailgating. I mean, you you feel the way that it sort of takes over that town, maybe in a way that as popular as Ohio State is, I don't know, it takes over Columbus. You're talking about a different kind of location, right? Like if you go to a game at Wisconsin, I remember this vividly from like having to where they park you for the media and then you walk to the stadium and you're just walking for blocks through tailgate, like a long 
period, long path. And it's, it, it gets you, it get, it makes, it's visceral. Like you start to feel the game on you in a different way. So I hear what the texture is saying. I don't know. Some of this may just be the difference between a big city and a college town and how hard one is to replicate there. Although Madison is, is pretty big too. So maybe there is a way to enhance this a little bit around the stadium in Columbus and, and take it up a notch. No, I don't think it's replicable to the way that Penn State. I mean, they built a college on top of a mountain and a football stadium and a cow pasture. Mm-hmm. And the result is like, woo, lovely. Now it is a pain in the tookus to get to, right? Yes. It's yes. like you got to, yeah. it's on a mountain and there are not real big highways to get there. It is a pain. It is much easier to get to Ohio Stadium. So unless you picked up Ohio State's campus and dropped it on top of a mountain in Ohio, you're not going to replicate that. It's the good and the bad. It's very different. goes back to the whole like Terrell Pryor thing. Do you like want to go to college in the country or go to college in the city? But there are good and bad to both. And I let you guys talk first because like this is where I grew up going to college football games. So I probably went to like one Penn State a game a year for like probably like eight straight years. And that to me was just what a college football game was. You drive up a, up a mountain. And then when you get there, you have a tailgate in a cow pasture. And I was like, this is great. Every And then like when I came here and like there's a lot of people like tailgating in parking garages and stuff. And I was like, what? What is this? Where's the cow pasture? So if you've never been to State College, as you said, Stephen, like it's there's nothing else there. Mm-hmm. But it is a tremendous college town. The strip when you walk down, like all the restaurants and the shops and everything, like it is a great college town. It is a beautiful campus. It is a gigantic stadium and it is an electric atmosphere. So if you are an Ohio State fan, I would say even if you like you couldn't get a ticket, I would go. Go, drive over. It's like five and a half, five hours from Columbus, maybe. Drive over and like soak up the stuff and then just like watch the game and your and the TV or whatever. Watch it on your phone if you can't get in. But it is one of those, there's a lot of I, I take it back. I was gonna say there's a lot of great experiences in the Big Ten. There's some that aren't great. There's some that are like, ah, you're okay if you never go there. This there are a couple sucks. that are awesome. Penn State should is up there. Like, you yeah. should go to Penn State. If you're an Ohio State fan for like 40 years and you've never been to a game at Penn State, you should just make a little trip. Even if the tickets are 400 bucks a piece and you don't want to shell out for that, go soak it up because it does. It's kind of an all-day party in a cow pasture. A um, couple more Michigan questions. All right. Now, you know what? I got to do this. We are going to have a traffic podcast at some point because we had so many questions about it, but I saved them all. But this is not exactly traffic. This is Jordan. I hope this makes the rant pod. It's making the rapid fire pod. Because the confidence Nathan and Doug had about renting cars without the insurance frustrates me. I work for a rental car company. And one of my biggest pet peeves is people who don't take the insurance because they think they're immune to the world around them. Granted, if your company covers the car, and says, don't get it, then I understand. If you are renting a vehicle for just a couple of days without the corporate backing, then get the insurance. Otherwise, if something does happen, like what happened with Nathan, it creates a whole hassle with claims on the vehicle for the renter. I promise I'm not just saying this because I work there, but for people who are only in the car for a day or two, it boggles my mind that people would rather risk paying their deductibles and damage costs over the $20 that completely negates it. As much as neither of you might never take the insurance, at least think about it and let this be a lesson to Nathan, who now by his own admission is dealing with the hassle of it. You guys are great and I love the pod. I just felt the need to kick Nathan while he was down if he rejected it because he was too stubborn rather than because of the company saying so. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So I think think 
I think the rental car industry is trying to get in our head. And I think Jordan is a bot. And I think it is a bot designed (laughs) to get the whole world to buy rental car insurance. I'm just kidding. Jordan, it's very interesting to hear the other side of this. Nathan, you are down and you have been kicked. How are you with the rental car situation? And how would you like to respond? Well, it's actually not that much of a hassle as it turns out. I have comprehensive coverage on my personal insurance, so I'm not going to end up paying anything out of pocket for this. And on top of that, there are other things that cover this. Now, the, the issue being most time, most corporate, most corporations, if you're renting a car for work, have a policy that governs this. And as I found out after the fact, so do we. So in the future, I will use that. We have a preferred vendor to go through that includes the insurance. So that won't be an issue going forward. But this time, it wasn't that I was like willy-nilly like, hey, car damage could never possibly happen to me. I, I I knew that I was covered in other ways, either through my personal insurance or my credit card. Like That's the other thing, too, is make sure what I would tell people is, on top of Jordan's advice, that's all. know before you're renting a car what your personal insurance covers and what your credit card that you're renting with covers. Because in my case, I was going to be covered either way, so I didn't need the insurance. But if you're not covered, if you don't have comprehensive coverage, if your credit card policy doesn't cover it, then maybe it is something to think about because it isn't a huge cost. Steven, do you ever get rental car insurance? Before I turned 25, I did because there's already that extra fee that you have to pay. Yeah. Is, it's like, first of all, for anybody under 25, it is a lie that you can't rent a car until you're 25. I did it like habitually before I was 25 renting cars. So before then, yes, just because it's a lot more of a liability issue when you're under 25. Now, no, because I have insurance that covers me anyway. To Nathan's point, so I don't have to do Although it. When I, I, when I flew, I was at my first job and I was going to interview for what would become my second job. And I flew there and they flew me in and they rented me a car. And when I went to pick it up, they didn't know that I was 24. And so the rental car company wouldn't give it to me because they had a policy not to rent for 25-year-olds. I had to go to a different rental car company. So that did trip me up. Hmm. And that's like 25 years ago now. Um, but I also do think... The thing about insurance, right, is like you want to you want to cover yourself if the bad thing happens. But if the say you rent 50 cars and you never get the insurance and then on the 51st time something goes wrong, even if it's only $20 and I would dispute that rental car insurance is only $20, it certainly feels like it is more than that to me at times. But even if it's only $20, if you turn it down 50 times, now you've got a thousand bucks to play with. If on right. the 51st time something goes wrong, so that is the thing that goes wrong going to cost you $1,000? Like that's your insurance. So the idea of like getting insurance because one out of 100 times something might happen, like people get like, oh, I'm going on a trip. I'm going to get travel insurance. It's like, well, I don't know. Like don't get travel insurance. And like the one time out of 40 that your trip gets screwed up, just suck it up. So that's the, that's how I think about it. I don't think of it yeah, as no, like... No. Like nothing bad can ever happen to me. I think like, well, it's not going to happen enough for to make the insurance worthwhile. And if and when it happens, I'll deal with it. But also, as you said, Nathan, I do think there are people out there who wind up like triply covered because they're paying for their own car insurance. They have a credit card and now they're also getting the rental car insurance, but you don't know. And so you panic in the moment and take it. So thank you, Jordan, for your information and from that view of it. But you're not tricking us, Jordan. We're on to you and we're not falling for the greatest scam in America, which is rental car insurance. Even though Nathan, I like the idea of kicking Nathan when he's down, but he's back up. He's back up and he's fine. He's fine. It was like a hassle for what? Like an afternoon? 
Barely. Okay. Jordan, we're just kidding. We really, we, one of the things about that, like having a community is like, Hey, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And then like, I'm sure we're going to get a text from somebody who's like, Hey, I make the onion rings at Burger King. Here's why you have to lock yourself <laughs> in a room for eight hours, Doug. Let me give you the secret of the onion rings. People are like, we have people who have expertise in things. And I don't know if you guys have noticed our expertise, if it exists at all, is quite limited. Buckeye talk. So then people tell us like, hey, I know about the thing that you're talking about. Here's the actual deal. And I love those texts. The actual deal of things in the world, great side benefit of having access to all these texts. So Jordan, for real, we're just joking around. Thank you for sending in on that. It was it was good to add that opinion to the mix. We have two more Michigan things we have to do. We have to do. You guys have hung on this long. We have to do it. But I want to do this very quickly. Rant, it is what it is in quotes, is equally as meaningless and annoying as only time will tell. That's Scott from Beaverton, Oregon. Only time will tell is like my main thing of like only time will tell. Anything time passes and that's how you find out what the future is because the future becomes the present. If anyone ever ends a story with only time will tell, the number one thing I would do is edit that phrase out. The number two thing I would do is fire that person forever writing it. It is what it is. I actually think has become a descriptive thing of when someone says it is what it is, you know exactly what that means. And that can actually be a truth that is worth expressing, which is there's nothing you can do about this. The situation happened. But like, it's a very short way to explain kind of a complicated thought, Nathan. Yeah. And I actually think it is what it is serves a purpose where only time will tell never serves any purpose. It's like when I go to McDonald's to work and then they bring me my food and I just kind of look at them and they're like, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're right. It's, it's, but, if you, but if you said to them when you ordered worth of nourishment, if you said to them, um, do you think I'll get my French fries in the next three minutes? And they said, only time will tell. That would be useless. But <laughs> by saying it is yeah. what it is, they're conveying the idea of like, you know, it's and and it is what it is. I think it's a shared. It's like a shared reaction, of like, it almost always comes with a shrug. Like the person saying, it, "It's like I don't like." I don't it's like know, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. Like, you, what were you and expecting? Like, yep. Is kind of like what it could be a way of saying that too. Like did we, this came up before, right? Did I bring up the the point about the Van Halen lyric? From why can't this be love? The I, lyric only time will tell if we stand the test of time. It's the worst lyric in the history of rock music. It is. Sammy Hagar should be fired into the sun for writing and singing that. Yeah. I, I uh, say, so <laughs> not the girl person. No, go ahead, Stephen. But I say it is what it is when I get in arguments with my girlfriend all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, how's that go? No, but but <laughs> oh, it doesn't go well. <laughs> There's a couch but, in our but living you, room. But if you, if she said, Stephen, why do you keep doing this? Will you eventually stop this behavior? And you said, only time will tell. That would be worse. That would serve no purpose. I think but I'd be it single is what it right is, now. Is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only time will tell is like whimsically empty, whereas it is what it is has a certain resignation to it. it it's a certain like yeah. dismissive quality of like, why were you, why are you like, you should know better than complain about this. Yeah. This is not a great situation, but it's not going to change. So right. what is anyone supposed to do about it? That's a lot. You know, I think, I think it is what it is. That's five words. And it's actually 
Only three words because two of the words are used twice. Do you think if Kirk Ferentz had gotten up week two when someone was asking about the offense and had said, listen, it is what it is, like none of all of the rest of the past six weeks yeah. would have happened. No one in Iowa yeah. City would have ever heard of Doug Maurice. Uh, Brian Ferentz wouldn't be the, the laughing stock of the football nation. Like he would have just nipped it in the bud very early on, been like, listen, it is, is what it is. is. We'll see you in 2023. Like <laughs> I think they would have, people might've just been like, yeah, okay. Whereas I, whereas if I had said, Kirk, will you, how will you evaluate Brian compared to any other assistant coach? And if he said only time will tell, like my tone would have been even worse than, I think you than it was in fall. the moment because like, yeah, yeah, yeah it would have been like, oh, like, that's it. I would like throw my notebook down. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, okay. So two Michigan questions that we have to do. These are like doomsday Michigan questions that there's a part of me that's like, why are you asking this question? Do you really want us to talk about this? So if you don't, these are two absolute long-term doomsday Michigan questions as related to the Ohio State football program. We're 140 minutes in. If you've had enough, leave now. From the 317, what are the odds that J.J. McCarthy has more playoff trips than C.J. Stroud at the end of their college careers? Stroud has one more opportunity, and while everybody agrees it's a very good opportunity, it's still just one. J.J. already has been to the playoffs, and he comes back next year. Next year's Ohio State football team has weaknesses. You don't know what you're going to be getting from the quarterback. Um, But the bigger concern is that Ohio State's offensive line is returning just two starters and losing both tackles back in Ann Arbor. If it's not, it's not all that outlandish to assume that the more experienced Michigan offense in 2023 is able to beat Ohio state. Michigan wins the big 10 title game and goes to the college football playoff. Am I a little crazy for thinking about something that is so far away? So Nathan, I mean, you can like throw yourself down a rabbit hole. I'm not, you know, like a CJ Stroud. It's almost like McCord McCarthy is the comparison that we've made that you're sort of excited to see how that works out because they were in the same recruiting class. Ryan day picked, Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. I'm not sure that like a Stroud-McCarthy comparison is like something that has a lot of relevance, but I don't know. Taxter wants to do it. What do you think of this idea, Nathan? I I mean, at the at the very least, I mean, the best that C.J. could do is tie him. Right. If I McCarthy's had... already been there. He wasn't the starting quarterback, but, but C.J.'s yeah, – what's that? Are we going to count he was a in playoff the playoff appearance when he wasn't the starter, though? I mean, he played. I mean, so I guess for this scenario, I mean, like it kind of, it kind of. Well, counts. then, then if, like, if, if Stroud, JJ was like, Stroud, it, yeah, Stroud's got Stroud's two playoff appearances, twenty twenty semifinals. Oh, yeah, Stroud had to play so, that game. Yeah, I, I, I think we should have. Okay, I think with earlier. quarterbacks, you got to. So they're tied right yeah, now. I think with quarterbacks, you got to stop count for starts. I think the starts so are more tied. important. They're okay, tied right now. I okay, okay. I would still vote on McCarthy. However, you slice it, they're tied. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I would still vote on McCarthy, though, if I had a gun to my head, just because, like you say, he's going to have one more shot at it. Like they're they both get one shot this year, and then McCarthy will still be around next year. C.J. Stroud will be with the Texans or whatever. So like I, you would still have to like if you had to make a bet. Like I think the just the numbers, the probability would tell you to vote on McCarthy at least today. Now, if a month from now C.J. Stroud's in the playoff and J.J. McCarthy's not, then. I would vote on Stroud winning it because the best McCarthy could do is tie at that point. So um, it's not really there. It's not even like you're not really comparing the quality of the guys at that point. It's more just about the probability of who has opportunity and who doesn't. I'd still take McCarthy because even if Stroud makes it this year, if they lose in the semifinal McCarthy and they don't make it this year, he could still like go make it next year and play in the national championship game. So that's technically two playoffs. There's no guarantee he only stays for three years. Yeah. 
I do think like the best chance of Ohio State or Michigan to make the playoff, the best chance for either of those programs is Ohio State this year. The second best chance yes. might be mm-hmm. Michigan either this year or next year. We have to see how McCord looks right in 2023, and we've had that conversation a million times. Yeah. So I still think I might take CJ in this because it's like, well – Yes, Michigan has a chance to beat Ohio State this year and go to the playoff, as we've said a million times. But certainly Ohio State is still favored. I mean, it's still they have a a better chance of beating Michigan this year than not. Everybody would agree to that. Perhaps a much better chance of beating them. And then the other scenario there is, while I do think the playoff rankings on Tuesday night showed us that Michigan would have a very hard time getting in the back door as a one-loss non-champ, I think Ohio State would be in the mix there. I don't think it's impossible. Now, they wouldn't have the big, shiny win because Michigan's going to be their big, shiny win. And if they don't get that, they're 11-1. and one, And then you go, well, what's your best win? So that could make it hard. It would depend how things shake out. But there's also a world where, like, J.J. McCarthy and C.J. Stroud could both make the playoff this year. But yeah. it's only that world. I don't think Michigan has a chance in that world. The, the tricky thing in there is Michigan does potentially, and I can't believe we're about to say this, have another marquee win on its schedule that Ohio State will not have, and that's Illinois that was number 16 last night. If Illinois is like 9-1 and one and ranked yep. like in the top 10 of the yeah. playoff rankings in that game before the game, and Michigan like wipes them up, that's gonna the committee's going to pay attention to that. So then if Michigan beats Ohio State, it, it's another data point that it flips them kind of how it did last year, where now Michigan, Ohio State just doesn't, as, as bad as Michigan's non-conference schedule was, Ohio State just has the one win over Penn State, and that's it. Well, also the yeah. head-to-head, it's like if it comes down to the Big Ten only getting one spot, Michigan's getting it because not only did they beat Ohio State, but they're probably winning the Big Ten championship game while Ohio State's sitting. No, down. no, no. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no Penn State scenario here. Yeah, you know, Ohio and, State getting in as a second team. And the, yeah. the committee loves Alabama right now, although they kind of like LSU too. So, yeah, but Alabama, LSU's already got two yeah. losses. But if Alabama beats LSU, that they're they're going to love Alabama a little bit more. I'm just the one loss Alabama getting in is is a very 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 clear path right now. You still got Clemson who, who well no no but but there's but that's not a conversation because Bama if it's one if one if it's one loss Bama they're the SEC champ mm-hmm. right so of course they're in right and otherwise they're two loss Bama right mm-hmm. so like that there's not a one loss Bama conversation I'm just saying that the one loss um, Bama okay. it, it, it just how there's going to be only you're only going for two spots because the SEC would have two is all I'm saying yeah yeah which, which they probably would but also like if. Tennessee beats Georgia, but then loses to somebody else. Like it gets loose a little bit. You could yeah. have something happen there. Okay. Last one. And I, I really don't know why this person is asking this, but it's so interesting. We're going to talk about it from the 614. I, hypothetical question for the rapid fire. If there's a universe where Ryan day goes one in five or oh, and six against Michigan for the next six years, which again, the, <laughs> Like if, it's like he's not. If there's a the universe where Ohio State goes on a 30 game losing streak, what would? And it's like, okay, I guess I, we are really entering a universe here. I get it, but so, I, but listen, like the universe. This, I mean, we're talking about how much how good Michigan is this year. If if Michigan beats them this year, Ryan Day has a losing record against Michigan, and then now he's trying to beat him with a first year starting quarterback next year, like in Ann Arbor. Like it's the, it's not that far fetched, at least for the next I don't couple think, years. So, I don't think they're he's saying, not getting let, the let, one. Let, 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 let me finish. Let's not have the conversation before I finish the question because what you're about to say, Stephen, is the question. Yeah. Goes one and five or oh and six the next six years. So not even counting the loss that already happened. 
Okay. And keeps up this recruiting and offensive recruiting and performance with a continued quarterback and wide receiver stuff happening. Does Ohio State move on from him? What I'm getting at is if he turns into the modern equivalent of John Cooper, would Gene Smith or whoever the athletic director is be at the point to move on from day or force a mutual parting of the way? So it is a modern day Cooper question, Stephen, where high level offense, NFL players, very successful the 11 other weeks of the year, cannot beat Michigan. John Cooper went 2 10 and 1. So the question is, how long in this modern era would the leash be for a very successful Ohio State coach in every other way who cannot beat Michigan? That's the question. I don't think he gets past one and three before they part ways. Because if he's losing to Michigan like this every year, that means they're probably not making the playoff, which means I I get no, it. No, 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 no. 12 team playoff which oh, is yeah. coming. Yeah. Like that was be my they point. could lose they here's the thing. They'd make they'd lose to Michigan and make the playoff every year. Yeah. And then maybe yeah. get farther than Michigan in the playoff. So again, it's a very complicated question. Yeah. But go ahead, Steven. Go ahead. Go ahead. So take that point out of it. But I just I don't see a I don't think he gets past one and three because I don't think you can live in that world as an Ohio State's athletic director where you're losing to Michigan every year. So, so, and um, when you say one and three, does the does the current loss count, or you mean one the next four years? If he lost three out of the next four, yes. Okay, because like so we're starting he, from ground zero. He's he's one and one right yeah, now. Yeah, because hypothetically so speaking, he's, he's probably two and one against Michigan if that twenty twenty game doesn't get canceled. So we're starting from ground zero. He loses in twenty twenty two, and then like he, you know, one and three over the next four, basically. Okay. All right, Nathan, what do you think about this? And I think it is – the reason I think it's an interesting scenario is it be, is because we've seen this happen, and the last guy got 13 years. And you're, what, we're, what we're discussing here is, has anything changed in college football, in Ohio State expectations, in, in just the sport in general, where the next guy in a similar situation would not get 13 years? I, just thinking about the Ryan Day example specifically. So already one and one to, to kind of build on what Steven said. Yep. And then if he were if they were to lose this year, if he, if you're asking me if I think if Ohio State went twelve and one this year with a Rose Bowl victory but a loss to Michigan, and twelve and one next year with another Rose Bowl or whatever victory and a loss to Michigan, and Ryan Day would get fired, I think no. I don't think he would get fired. Because and that would still that would be before we start talking about a twelve team playoff, right? Because they're definitely not doing one this year, and it's that doesn't sound like it's real promising for twenty twenty three. 12 team would be implemented. No, it's definitely not for 2020. Right. It'd be 24. 24. So that we're talking about. So the idea, because I think part of the thing you have to remember is what we saw last year from Michigan is what Michigan is supposed to be doing more often than it is. Like it's supposed to be a better program than it had been for a while. And so for them to finally get back up on the national stage, yes, I know that the head to head thing against Ohio State felt it in a different way, but to some extent, there should be stretches where both these programs are really good and one of them wins a stretch of close games. It shouldn't all be the blowouts that Ohio State was doing. I think that a, a 
a situation where it's still your only one loss that's happening in any of those years. You're beating a lot of other good teams. Uh, I think it would increase the hot seat, but I don't think at that point he would be one and three. I don't think he would be fired. But the whole the thing, the one note that I made on my sheet here where I list the questions was exactly what Stephen got to, which is that John Cooper didn't have the path to redemption that now all these future coaches will have with the expanded playoff. He didn't even have the, the four-team playoff, which who knows what that could have been in some years. But like it was a very one-and-done situation back then. And now you will have always this, I don't know what else to call it, like a path to redemption. Like you you can lose that game. I mean, Alabama did it, or Georgia did it last year, had a great season, loses to Alabama, and then uh, comes back and gets them in the national championship game. And I'm not even talking about a head-to-head between Ohio State and Michigan, but like Georgia is remembered more for being the national champion last year than it is for losing to Alabama. So they're, they're, yeah, but they're not rivals. I understand, but I understand that that's a good point, but I'm just saying that I don't, we've, I think we've already kind of had this. I'm sure we sent a texter poll about it back many months ago. Uh, I don't remember now, but like if you win a, if Ohio State wins a national championship, but loses to Michigan, did you just throw that national championship in the trash? Like, I don't think so. I think a significant, a lot of the fan base would still remember the fact that they lost to Michigan, but also fine 12 team playoff, but we're also expanding the big 10. And so if they're losing to Michigan every year, Ohio State's not the only team in the big 10 right now getting five-star quarterbacks anymore. Penn state's got one in Drew Aller. Uh, Michigan's got one, JJ McCarthy. They might be getting another one here soon. And Jaden Davis, who once again is the guy Ohio state didn't choose because they chose Dylan Raiola. So it's the same thing as 2021 plus USC's on its way to the Big Ten. You keep losing to Michigan every single year. How long until those five-star quarterbacks stop coming here and start going to USC and Michigan instead? Because I do think the 12-team playoff, the shorthand for the 12-team playoff, you've got to have the sixth conference champ who gets it automatically. So then the other 11 spots, I think the shorthand is three from the SEC, two from the ACC, two from the Big Ten, two from the Big 12, two from the Pac-12. That it's almost like, as much as we think like, oh, it provides all this opportunity, it's kind of just like, the winner and the loser of your conference championship game get in mm-hmm. as shorthand. And I know that won't be exactly it every year, right? but it's not like four big 10 teams are going to get in every year. Here's the thing that I think would be different and why I don't think any Ohio state coach would ever again, get close to two 10 and one against Michigan, because I think the coach would leave because his life would be miserable. Mm-hmm. And if you did not have ties to Ohio, like John Cooper did not. And Ryan day does not, if there wasn't something in you, the way Jim Trestle had it, the way Woody Hayes had it, the way Earl Bruce had it, the way Urban Meyer had it, that there's a you're tied to Ohio anyway. In the age of social media, in the age of the, the increased focus on college football, in the age of constant podcasts and constant questions, and it's all anybody, your life would be miserable. And Ryan Day would leave. And like I'm not like maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong. Ryan Day would not stick around to find out if he could go one and six <laughs> against Michigan. He'd be because he'd just have another opportunity where your life would be less miserable because the fans wouldn't stand for it. And and all the 12 and ones and all the playoff appearances, they wouldn't stand for it. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. It's probably bad, but it's not also completely unreasonable to me. People really care about this as the best rivalry in sport and Ohio state's supposed to be better. It's not the same as, as Michigan losing. That's the thing that's happened too. The, the rivalry, I think, is tilted to the point where, like, it's, it wouldn't be acceptable. I don't think Ohio State could ever accept because, like, with, like Woody was the 10 year war. Earl was five and four, right? 
And so when Coop came in, there wasn't an expectation that you're supposed to beat Michigan every year. So Coop came in and went two ten and one, and it was like, man, this stinks. Now listen, I wasn't here, I didn't cover it, I wasn't, I wasn't growing up in Ohio. I don't know exactly what it was like year to year. My understanding is that it was torture on earth, <laughs> right? It made Ohio State fans begrudge their existence and make the last that Saturday in November absolute misery. But you didn't have social media, you didn't have you know talk shows constantly, you didn't have a Big Ten network, you didn't have Buckeye talk, you didn't have all those things that make losing more miserable. So, and the expectation wasn't the same. As good as Woody was, Woody was awesome against Michigan. We've never had Ohio State sort of living with this new expectation that Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer built of you beat Michigan every year. So because that expectation now exists, you can never go back to 210 and 1. Never. Nobody would be able to last that long. But I don't think it would take someone telling Ryan Day to leave he would say, this is not the place for me anymore. Sorry, we didn't beat Michigan. They're really good. We did the best we could. Good luck to the next guy. I'm going to be an NFL offensive coordinator because I'm sick of my kids getting yelled at on the playground. Right? I just, it'd be untenable. I just think it would be the most untenable rivalry situation in sports Mm -hmm. because this is not an equal rivalry. Ohio State's supposed to be better. And now you're losing consistently? It could it could exist. So the example that I was throwing out there, I was envisioning a situation like what we had last year, what you see this year with Michigan, where they could be eleven and zero going into that game. If Ohio State were losing to like an eight and three Michigan when it was eleven, I don't 0, think it matters. Why does it matter? No, you can't tell Ohio State fans with, that Michigan's good because no, it, it doesn't it matter with rivalries. The perception of Michigan. It doesn't matter. You doesn't, think Ohio yeah. State fans would would be more okay with losing to Michigan because Michigan's good? Oh, I think it absolutely changes. The, the dominance that you're talking about that Ohio State had in the series was against a certain level of Michigan. If Michigan is playing at a different level, it changes that perception. I'm not saying it makes them every, like which, which, the loss any better. They would not be okay with it. I don't think matter. it changes it, one It doesn't thing. matter if Michigan is 11-0 and 0 going into that weekend or if they're you know 8-3 and 3 going. They do not want to lose that game. It does not matter. Ohio State fans are miserable when they lose to Michigan. Records, it doesn't matter how good yeah, Michigan Records is. don't matter anymore. In that situation, if you are an Ohio State coach that is like one in four against Michigan, your life is going to be hell on earth. I don't dismiss that. What I'm saying is, they, they, they go back to the concept of, and I'm, I guess, jumping back to what Stephen and I were talking about more than your resignation thing. But the idea that he would get fired for that, I think that does change that math. That when it's just like the uh, like a a clearly great team, it's not just like you're you're you you don't you're not playing down to Michigan's level and losing that game. There's another great team, and you have a stretch where you're not winning that game. At the, by the way, he would be 55 and six after next season if that scenario played out with those losses. Only to no, but I, so like so like what at what point would you say it's, we're we're mixing our metaphors a little bit here? We tried to say wipe it, wipe it from now, from now. Mm-hmm. He's one and one. Ignore the past. Okay. If he goes one and three, the next four games against Michigan. One and four. I thought one in three, the next four games to me is not enough yet. That's not enough because you're, you're maybe one play away from two and two, right? That right. is not like That's- losing three times out of four, the next four years is not like this is untenable. We can't beat them, but one in five or oh, and six, like the, per- cause the question was the next six years, if he's one in five or oh, and six, I think in that scenario, you would not get to the seventh year because Ryan day would be gone by his choice 
yeah. maybe with Ohio State's assistance, and it wouldn't matter how good Michigan was, and it would not matter what else you did the rest of the year. I don't think Ohio State can live in that world anymore. No, I think I – So do you agree with that? Like, yeah. what's the number? I yeah. think that's probably true, but again, the one X factor being you get now you are crossing into the to the era where there will be that path to redemption that we were talking about. I don't think they're going to fire Ryan Day yeah, if he goes I, one I, and I four, and in that in that fifth year they lose to Michigan, but then win the national championship. They're going to fire him. I I don't know. Uh, There's no fire is a, fire is a strange word. Are, you are underestimating. There's no redemption to losing to Michigan. Think of this rivalry. I'm not There's no redemption to losing to Michigan. I'm not underestimating. Yes, there is. If they win a national championship, people aren't going to crucify him for having lost to Michigan. There will be an. Uh, there yes, is a are. large portion the of the fan base who's going to put an asterisk. There is a. We're talking, for fans. That's not the discussion we're having. We're fan, having there is a discussion. large portion of the fan base who is going to have an asterisk by that championship if they lost to Michigan in that same year. If you're asking me in I that don't scenario, think any Ohio State coach can. All right, make your scenario. Make I'm your saying scenario. in the scenario you're presenting in that in that year where they would be then one and three, one and four. If you win a national championship and you're one and three over these next four years, but you win a national championship in that fourth year, even with a loss to Michigan, I don't think he's getting pushed out. We're selling. Not we're not, said, we're talking about the fan base. At one we're talking, we're about, talking the, about down the line. Yeah, there's a lot. If you make it a regular thing. If you make it a regular thing, and the norm is, what's the new norm? Ohio State loses to Michigan almost every year. I don't think any coach can like be, sustain that reality for more than a year or two. So I think like is one in three in the next four years that no is one in four that it's getting pretty close to it is one in five that yes it is, and then I think almost no matter what it's untenable. And it, the other thing that I think I, I don't know. Like we're just sort of like, ah, oh, you lose it, and then you go on and you win the national championship. I'm not sure how much, like what the effect would be. Do you think there would be an effect, Nathan, on the chances of success for the Ohio State team if they would lose to Michigan and then make the playoff? Like is there is there a little bit of like you? it would be very difficult for them to overcome it. And I know Jalen Hurts had the commercial where they lost to Auburn and he put the national championship trophy in his backpack. I get mm-hmm. it. But I also don't quite think Bama Auburn is quite this. It's no. I just I don't think it is. But um, I, but I don't think it would necessarily be a detriment. I I mean it, what we're talking about now is like over a period of several years, and maybe that's wearing on them. I see what you're saying, but we saw how like emotionally driven this these this group of guys was after that loss, and have been in the months since. And you would have to like pretty quickly synthesize that but it can also be it can be just as much a rallying point as it is something that like devastates your team and again i'm talking about a scenario where michigan is playing at this level i mean they were number five in the playoff rankings going to that game last year they're number five right now undefeated they're like kind of generally consensus a top five team in the nation right now and that i think is important perspective on what we're talking about if michigan is if michigan falls back i do think that changes how the loss is perceived i, I actually th- we're I saying, think it is zero perspective yeah, i think it is borderline meaningless perspective their record what does we're not matter talking about at all which is if ohio state fans could tolerate a coach who loses to michigan a lot like because guess what if michigan's beating ohio state a lot of course they're good Mm-hmm. Like a four and eight Michigan's not going to beat Ohio State a lot. Like by definition, they'd be good. I don't think anybody would care. The thing that we have not talked about is not only would the teams go on to the playoff, we're going to be in a world where they might rematch in the Big Ten championship yeah. game. Yeah. And so the idea yeah. of you losing the regular season, you play the next week. Listen, this is a tremendous rivalry. 
of all the things that are also going to happen in a 12-team playoff and a divisionless Big Ten and all these different things, it is going to complicate the rivalry because you are going to open yourself up to conference championship game rematches. You are going to open yourself up to both teams make the playoff. Could they meet in a semifinal? And it is going to be a new world. And I do think, Nathan, the point of you're talking about redemption because, again, it's like, well, what if you win but you don't beat them? I do think, like, if you beat Michigan on the way to winning the national title and avenge the loss, that's a little bit. But that's it's never happened. We've never Ohio State, Michigan right. have never played twice in a year, and they're going to. This they is- are going to in the next ten years. They're going to play twice in a year, and we don't know exactly what that's going to mean for everybody. And it is a it is a complicating factor that is a scenario. You know what? Only time will tell. <laughs> I just want to say for everyone who is right now mid is, is mid text to me. I want to make sure that that gets emphasized that what I'm at the end of the day saying is the world that we live in right now is the world that John Cooper lived in is much closer to the one we live in right now than the one that we will live in in two years. Things are going to change radically in two years. There's going to be a whole new set of circumstances. And I'm not willing to sit here and say I'm judging what will happen based on a very, very big unknown. It's not me saying that Ohio State fans would not be at would be be livid about a losing streak to Michigan. I embrace that. And what I'm saying is what the circumstances of that would be, there's a lot of variables that don't exist right now that what we have right now is still very much the world that John Cooper coached in. Yeah. It is what it is. Okay. It is what it is. Uh, That's the headline on this podcast. (laughs) It is what it is. And time will tell. That's a Buckeye talk. That's a big, rich, hearty Buckeye talk. We had to just talk about some other stuff because guess what? There's a lot of good stuff to talk about in and around this team, in and around college football. We still have a parking podcast ahead of us. Uh, Traffic. How far back should you stop at the stoplight using your turn signal, driving on the shoulder? The number of traffic-related texts is absolutely through the roof. Why is this We'll get to that at some point. I, it's like we just – we cracked the door. We cracked the door on the parking lot conversation. Again, people are like – this is like Nathan with the Purdue astronauts. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. Oh, I like, have some very strong opinions on passing in the right lane, and I've just been waiting to share them with this football podcast. Yeah, I like how Steven was like, oh, he's waving his Purdue flag. Do you know what flag I was waving? The one that a Purdue grad planted on the moon. Oh That's why you want – you want the team that's been to the moon to play the aliens. Why is that radical? That was good. Okay. That was real good. See, that's good. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. Tishu and I will be here with the gambling podcast, and Nathan, Steven, and I will be here with a preview. I don't even know who they're playing. Um, the Ohio State's playing somebody else. So we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the other team. We've made I think this so far. I haven't mentioned the other team. Like the three podcasts this week, I don't think we've mentioned the other yeah. team. So we might slightly mention them for five minutes. We're not going to spend much time on it, but we'll do that next. We'll see you guys on Friday for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.